Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamaro Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. Comfortably on the right, your favorite conservative cousin, Malik Abdul, and you are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. How you guys doing this morning? Doing good. Doing Exhausted. good. Exhausted. <laughs> we are over, what's today? Wednesday? We're hump day. on hump day. We are hump day. Hump day trying to crawl ourselves over the hump. Absolutely. Herschel, I mean, Herschel Walker lost. Yes. yes. Raphael Warnock will be going in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody said What it. was the margin on that? So it ended up being 51 to 48. It was still close. that close? Yeah. yeah. It was very close. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you called that too. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we I, can unpack it. I'm sure we'll unpack yeah. it later. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But definitely, it's uh, you know, that's much. He ran a much closer race, despite people being thought. a flawed candidate. He ran a much closer race than even. Yeah, I. and Warnock is going to get six years now. You got six, six years. years. And my question is, what you going to get? What you going to get for the six years? In six years, are they going to bring him back? That's the question. It well, the, I think the fact that he. Such small margins between both of his races now. Now, six years is a long yeah. time from now because, you know, many things can change. But it does make him vulnerable. But the Georgia seat, I don't think, I think um, even Ossoff himself, who's the other, mm-hmm. his, you know, other senator, um, I don't think he's up until 2026, I believe. He was special election. Yeah, also, he was a special right? election, yeah. but he's now finishing out like a term or something. But I don't. So I, he's not up in 2024. So it must be 2020. What, six? It could be 2026. Yeah, I would think so. I. Is, I know he's not up in 2024. Time, yeah. Yeah, I know yeah. he's not up in 2024. So even with Ossup, it's later than that. But he's not necessarily a popular person too. But it'll be just interesting to see what happens in Georgia. Specifically, not just on the Senate level, but because of what's happened now in the 2020 cycle with Donald Trump losing, right, and now Georgia having. Um, I mean, Georgia used to be deep red deep, back in the 80s. Deep red. Yeah, but you also have to consider the influence of those major metropolitan areas. So the Atlanta metropolitan. Well, and that's where you won. I mean, most well, yeah, of that state I mean, was red, where, and it was like Atlanta, and there was a oh, few other pockets. Yeah, it's literally the pockets of those areas. But when you have so many people, mm-hmm. and this this isn't just in Georgia, <laughs> anywhere in the country where there's a large metropolitan right, area, that's, that's where you're going to get a lot of your votes from. So Los Angeles County, Miami Dade County, yeah, New York, um, you know, so those type Austin. of Austin, 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 that's right. Yeah, but so those type of things, you know, do happen. But in in Atlanta specifically, because there's such even more people moving down to Atlanta, it will make it difficult. Um, But clearly, not impossible because it's Georgia. Mm -hmm. It's just that my my take is that if they had a, and I'll explain it later, but if they had a marginally better candidate, Mm. he might have eked it out. Marginally better (laughs) candidate. A serious candidate. Not having the women's stuff going on. But the kids I, I, stuff going but, on. But baby mama even, drama. The baby mama drama. But not think, having that. But think about it. Even with that. He was close. He was yeah. still close. He was yeah. super close. So that's why I say marginally yeah. better. But I'll go ahead and get into some headline news. Obviously, yeah. this is exactly what we've been talking about. Georgia has a newly re-elected U.S. Senator. 
in a tight runoff election results last night that happened. Senator, current incumbent senator of Georgia, Raphael Warnock, fended off a challenge from Republican Herschel Walker to win a full six-year term that broadened the Democratic majority in the Senate after a turbulent runoff campaign that sharpened partisan divides in one of the nation's most politically competitive states nowadays. Elon Musk, the man, fires Twitter lawyer Jane Jim Baker, who was involved in censoring Hunter Biden's laptop and the Russia probe story former. The former Twitter lawyer also was involved in the Russia's, in the FBI's role in Russia Gate. Remember Jim Baker. Jim Baker was general counsel under Jim Comey at the FBI. And this was back in 2016 at the start of Russiagate. And he ultimately ended up deputy counsel at Twitter. But we'll be talking more about that. House and Senate lawmakers unveiled plans for a compromise defense authorization bill, which would boost the military budget by 8% over fiscal 2022 levels and rescind the military's COVID-19 vaccine mandate for service members. The $858 billion plan also includes plans for a 4.6% pay raise for troops starting next month and nearly $19 billion in extra funding to deal with extra inflation costs on construction, fuel prices, and other military projects. So, it seems as if finally, the vaccine mandate for the military will be ending, and it can't happen fast enough. House Democrats have also blocked a Republican amendment that would have strengthened religious liberty protections in the Respect for Marriage Act a bipartisan bill that would require the federal government to recognize all marriages, including same-sex marriages that are legal in the state where they took place. So essentially what this means is that it is codifying it into law, which means that one state by law has to recognize marriages in another state. Now, this came about after the passing of Roe, I'm sorry, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and it was because Senator then, Senator, sorry, not Senator, um, Justice Thomas, Justice Clarence Thomas, in his, um, dis- in as part of his decision, had some language in there that suggested that the court re- revisit things like same-sex marriage. Um, Republicans obviously rejected that, and the Chief Justice himself came out and said that that was not in the plan, but it seems as if Joe Biden is on his way to codify Respect for Marriage Act. In international news, starting today, just until the end of the week, Chinese President Xi Jinping will visit Saudi Arabia. Xi was invited by Saudi Arabian King Salman bin al-Saud. Xi and Salman Al-Saud are scheduled to hold a Saudi-Chinese summit that will also be attended by Saudi Arabian Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salam. The meeting will focus on developing a strategic partnership between the two countries given their recent tensions with the United States. The Chinese government 
has loosened their zero COVID policies amid protests among citizens. The changes do not dismantle the policy, but moves away from what they were considering digital passes. And those who are infected can quarantine at home instead of blocking off the whole block or staying in makeshift hospitals. The adjustment to zero COVID policies started earlier last month. Now, can you believe that? Now, we were complaining about what was happening here in the United States with COVID restrictions, but over there, they were blocking off whole blocks if you had COVID. So when they say zero COVID policy, they meant zero COVID policy. Also in international news in Germany, officials arrested dozens of members of the so-called Reich Citizens, Greek Reich, Reich Citizens movement on suspicion of plotting to overthrow the government. Many of those detained had military training and were believed to belong to a recently formed group that operating on the conviction that the country was ruled by a deep state. The House and Senate Armed Services Committee reached an agreement, as we discussed before, on the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal 2023, with the committee leadership agreeing to act to enact that would exclude Russian government officials from the G20 and other international institutions, according to the release document. However, Russia's foreign minister responded by saying the attempt to isolate Russia will fail and that the majority of other nations won't support such attempts by the U.S. Moving on to a bit of economic finance news, U.S. trade deficit widens as slowing global demand pushes goods exports to a seventh-month low, suggesting that trade could be a drag on economic growth this quarter if the trend persists. The report from the U.S. Department of Commerce followed on the heels of recent upbeat news on the economy ranging from consumer spending, the labor market, to the services industry. On this day in history, did you know that this probably is the most important day in world history? (laughs) Not U.S. history, world history. Because on this day, the, these, no, not these, the Thrilla, (laughs) Chan, was born today. So yes, today is Manila Chan's birthday. Happy birthday, Manila Chan. I would sing, but I don't think our audience would want that this (laughs) early. Give us a 30-second bar (laughs) of happy birthday. No, if I do it, I'm going to do the Marilyn. Yes, do the Marilyn Monroe (laughs) version. I'm going to do the Marilyn Monroe version. Happy birthday, (laughs) Mr. President. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) more breathy. Breathy and breasty. Yeah. Happy birthday. Pearl Harbor Day. Yes. 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 Which is our also yeah. on this day, 1941, Japanese bombers. They Love launched that. an attack on the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor in Oahu, Hawaii. Oahu. Oahu. Yeah. Hawaii. After the Pearl Harbor attack, the United States entered World War II. And those are your headlines for Hump Day, Wednesday, December 7th. You are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. 
But let me just tell you, having been, you know, growing up in California, which is, you know, I guess the closest state to Hawaii, I guess you can consider, right? Mm -hmm. We're the mainland. Being Asian and in the 80s, being born on Pearl Harbor Day. Pearl Harbor Day. Was not an easy thing. (laughs) Super awkward. Let me just tell you how awkward that is when when you're learning about U.S. history. Yeah. And then you're the one Asian kid <laughs> in class. And people are like, like Anala, oh, what did you think about the internment camps? is that your birthday? Yeah. And I'm like, uh. <laughs> my book. Hide, hiding your face. Pull my face down below the history book. Right. Yeah. I'm like, mm. but then 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. I had to wait a long time for that. But 9-11 took the, the doom yeah, yes. away from my the birthday. The day of infamy gets right. slid over to yes. another day. So in, in, in a horrible, awful way, I was like, Phew, okay, people don't think of my birthday as the worst day in U.S. history. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Because it sucked. It sucked being the one Asian kid and you're born on Pearl Harbor Day. Like, that's not fun. Well, you <laughs> know, I don't know. We were talking about it before the show. One of the other things that I'm sure sucks right now is for Jim Baker. <laughs> just yeah, lost his talked, job. Yeah, but just he just lost it. his job a little late. And I, I think your point add. was, why did he still have it? Why did he still have the job? Because did you say he was the number two? He was the number two behind the chief censor, uh, Vijaya Gade, whatever her technical title is. Yeah. Um, so but I she did, was the censor. See, basically. I didn't even make that connection. I didn't know that he... So that actually makes it even worse. It reminds people who we, Jim Baker is. Just yeah. So Jim Baker is was the general counsel under Jim Comey at the FBI. Okay. So back in 2016, when it, it, Jim Baker's hands are all over the Russian disinformation yeah. campaign. Russia did it. Are, Russia did it. Yeah. His yeah. campaigns are all over it. And because of his connections in that industry, and then you had others in the CIA and the intelligence community, community Jim Baker was another one of those that added heft to now, I guess, Vijaya. What is her? How do you pronounce her name? Vijaya Gade. Because I'm feeling icky pronouncing the name because it never comes out right. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I've heard people say, <laughs> you know, a lot worse. Yeah. So I'll just. <laughs> but the fact that he vagina Gaiva, that's your yeah. Yes, that's, 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 that's what's yeah. in my yeah. head. Um, but the fact that Jim Baker then worked for her, and considering her role and how instrumental she was, and in not just the censoring, you know, getting people banned, but just how instrumental she was. And what Twitter Twitter was doing in this whole era of non-free speech. Right. Jim Baker was her number two, and he was still there. So he went the other way, right, from going from a government job yes. to into a, the right. private sector job. To make and, more money, though. Yeah. You know, but that's what. she went, she kind of went direction. the other way, right? She went private sector and then got named. Once she started censoring everybody, yeah. um, I think it was last year, very early in the Biden administration, she got placed on a board of mm-hmm. something under Homeland Security. Yeah. yeah. Basically, uh, I don't know if it's CISA. I don't know. But she's on a board of... CISA. Yeah. I don't know if she's on the CISA board or I don't know whose board. But yeah. under Department of Homeland Security, she gets placed on a board and collects money from that too. So technically, she still got a job. She got her bona fides when she basically censored people. Yeah. She yeah. did yeah. her job. Biden was and, like, and they great her. job. We got to put her in a position. Put her in a board. Yeah, put her in a board position. She's doing great. This is what we want to get across to people. Let's her put, set her up with uh, Nina Jankowicz so they can hang out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the CISA thing, there was a leak from that, though, talking about Jankowicz 
being an iteration. Like they're not giving up on the censorship stuff. No, they're not giving up on that at all. They just got embarrassed by the whole ministry of truth. You know, I really do think Elon Musk is consolidating his position at the company. That's the only thing I can come to a conclusion why dude was still like there. Like his powers? Yeah, like he's getting more familiar with who's there, how the yeah. company works. And even the number of people that lost their jobs, he might not have gotten rid of them because he might have needed a spot. Who knows? I mean, at the point where you release the Twitter files, though, you got to do something. The man's no, name I, is all through it. That, that's a very good point. And I think that he is, you know, remaking Twitter, yeah. if that's the right word. In his Remake. image. In, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we were now Twitter seeing not, what image. Twitter would look like, like under his leadership. Right. Or ownership, rather. And just going to take a while. I mean, he's, yeah. it's a huge company, I'd imagine. All sorts of... That wasn't um, making money, right. apparently. You know, wasn't making much money from ad, no, like, no. revenue or anything. So. 2018 was the only year... It was profitable. That they, yeah, that they ever had any profits. And beyond that point, it was just downhill. So it'll be interesting to see by 2024 what Twitter... Looks like. Looks like. What do you think it's going to look like? I'm curious. Dude, he's making changes in the first couple of weeks. Yes. Can you imagine in a couple of months... Forget 2024. Yeah. I'm going to say... Q1 2023, mm-hmm. we're going to see some drastic changes. It just takes a little while to implement, right? I mean, you, right. you would know. You're a software yeah, you, guy. So. Yeah, it's difficult to change those systems overnight like right. that. I mean, you're going to have to get engineers to go in. You're going to have to do um, correction checking, meaning anything that we change on a system this big, you have to make sure that it doesn't break anything else. Right, like you've explained to us before, like if I change this one thing here, yeah, you can fix do, something else. the butterfly effect over there exactly. and over here and to the left. And it's up. a big company. And especially if he's talking about like drastic changes. Like if he's talking about like coding changes to the company itself, yeah, it's going to take a bit. Yeah. I mean, you got engineers are going to have to figure out how to do it. If it's going to adversely affect any of the systems that are um, in play. Um, and then it's, Twitter is interesting because you don't just have the technical part. You have the political part. It's like both of those things are running right. in this kind of weird parallel with each other in regards to, okay, this is the policy we want to espouse. Okay, what does the technology need to look like in order to espouse the policy? I don't know. It's fascinating. But it's going to take a, a little bit. Keep it simple. Yeah. yeah. Uh, go back, like, go back kiss to it. kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Go back to what it was 10 years ago. Yeah, but they may not be able to just roll back like that. Yeah, and, and they probably can. And I think that even now, um, you're saying, you know, what do I think will happen with Twitter? Um, I don't think that I'm not expecting much from him until free Garland Nixon. Until Garland, I can't believe Garland yeah, is still so in Twitter jail. Until people like Garland are back on Twitter and not subject to this arbitrary. Yeah. yeah I'm Banning. not going to be happy with the whole free speech thing. Whatever. What's more interesting to me is what um, Elon is talking about from a, because I'm a data analytics guy. Mm-hmm. So the things that you will now be able to do as far as data analytics. Okay. So being able to see now how many people you know, viewed, you know, your view, viewership on certain things. So how certain posts perform, yeah. you, he's now going to increase the capability of people to be able to dictate that. Because one of the things that, you know, like you have a post, but then you don't know what those impressions mean. Right. Like it doesn't do anything, right. but you see that people are watching it, you know, so he's talking about, you know, coming Expanding. up. Expanding. Right. So you can see that like raw data. JT. Maybe you can explain for us. He, Elon said very early on that he was going to come in and make stuff open source mm. data. What, what does that actually mean? So open source just means um, out the box. Like anybody can see it. So say, for example, a lot of software is communistic. And I mean, in a good way. So I can go on, for example, OBS. OBS is free. Or you have some software that somebody says, okay, I need an object in order to do X and Y. And oftentimes you can find somebody who already built it Right there available, you can go through the code, you can see how it works, and you can add it into your own systems. 
can't you hack it more easily then if it's open source? Well, I mean, it's not about hacking it. It's more so about giving people clarity in regards to transparency and how the code is working. So it's like, like, for example, if you were doing election systems and you were doing the software for an election, um, uh, you know, keep track of the elections. Well, it may help to have it as open source so people can see, okay, nothing nefarious is taking oh, place here. I as opposed see. to having a private company so that like owns the stuff. Yeah, it's, it's just being open with your technology so people can see what it does. And oftentimes, when well, you can give it to other people to use. Like, it, it, oh man, in software, there's um, object-oriented programming. And it's basically making, taking something that's in the real world and giving it a digital representation right. of it. Yeah, you've tried to explain that to me before, which is way over my well, head. think of it like a dog. <laughs> Be out of my deck. Like, or like an animal or a dog. A dog has four legs, a dog barks, um, a dog runs. Those are the characteristics. Those are the characteristics. Okay. And so bark would be um, an action or a, okay. a, a method. Um, four legs would be a property. And so you do that with the real world. And it can get more complicated depending on how you're doing everything else. Oftentimes, if I needed something like that, I may not have to build it. I could just go to somebody else's thing and somebody says, here it is. Here's it the may, dog. Here's the dog. It's just available. Or here's how you do polymorphism. Or here's how you do, and you have all of these things where people basically give you, oftentimes, for free. Oh. Yeah, not always. It depends on the software. Here's a cat. Yeah. Here's a mouse. Yeah. But open source, I mean, usually it's far more complicated just because you can database and all that other stuff. But all things being equal, the open source thing is just, this software is transparent, and we can give it to other people to use it for their own systems. That's the idea of why you would say, okay, I'm going to make this open source is to to say, look, I'm not doing anything fishy. It's transparent, and oftentimes you can give it to other people. And by the way, Twitter does that with their their style sheets. Like, if you notice that style, that rounded thing and everything else. I don't even know what that is. Okay, style, okay. The look of Twitter, like the font size, the way the letters curve, that feel of Twitter. Well, Twitter was giving that out to people. People could use their style sheet on their own website in order to make their site oh, have those oh, type right, of right, graphics right, right. and stuff like that. Oh, I mean, I in a sense, you could say that's open to us in a way. I mean, a style sheet is not code, but all things being equal, it's like saying, here, you can use this and you can put it on all sorts of websites. We use it all the time in our systems. Oh. Google Maps, another thing, where you can incorporate Google Maps into your own site. You can build programming around Google Maps in order to um, distance, location, et cetera. I built plenty of systems using Google Maps where you were trying to get from... How long does it take to get from this place to this place because you're building an application where you do using mileage away from stuff like I that? I did not know the tech community was that. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Like it's very community. open. Yeah. It's, it's a legitimate community in that sense. Oh. I mean, a lot of that stuff is either free. A lot of that stuff, you get help and assistance, advice. Oftentimes, it's free. Um, many of the and software. people help each other. Yeah, they help each other. Yeah. But how do you know it's not malicious? What do you mean? The software? Like, yeah, if somebody's not giving you bad code. Um, this is a buyer beware thing, right? And all the things being equal, the open source means you need to look, check that code. Like, meaning you can't add somebody else's code to your company code unless you know that thing is right and works, right? Um, and it depends on the person, right? You have some people who are, you wouldn't do that for somebody who may be more sketchy. You may not even do it if you're not certain where that stuff comes from. And again, it depends on the company. We used to use open source software for our company as long as we knew it was safe and there was no issue with it. Yeah, it was free. I mean, if you tell your boss, like, hey, we need to get this done. We can get it from this particular person. It costs this much. Have at it. Or, hey, we can found this particular software from this other place that we were able to download. Have at it. Make sure it works. Make sure there's no screwing with it. You're going to have to test it and all that good stuff. But Right, not on the live site. Right. On the yeah. on a beta site. On a beta site. And then eventually you bring it over to your site. But no, it's, he is trying, I guess he's trying to go with this notion of transparency. Like in regards democratize to, yeah. Twitter. I guess, I yeah. That's what it right. sounds there's, there's like. There's a political aspect. There's a political aspect to it yeah. as well. And so navigating both of those in, in this era, 
of free speech. Distrust. And, yes, in two, what, 230? Was it section? Yep, section 230. Yes, the lack of credibility and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What that looks like. But like I say, I don't think, I'm not expecting something, and maybe because, you know, I, I was never so much into the guy that I thought that the world was going to change. Yeah, I was never a big Elon like, Musk oh, fan. Oh, my goodness, the world is yeah, going to change I, now. I thought yeah. he was no. cool. Yeah. You know, my, the basic thing is stop, you know, censoring people. Yes, I do believe, I don't believe in absolute free speech when it comes to that. Yeah. Yes, put some rules in place so people like Garland aren't kicked or off. Or a stupid yes. joke. That is clearly, I mean, it's no... It's unless, hard to even confuse Unless that. they honestly believe Blinken is out there strangling Palestinians to death. Right. Then it's a joke. So unless the tech community is, I mean, fine, they share things. Yeah. Apparently, they don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> uh, well, they're political animals every bit as much as everybody else. I mean, like, meaning just because you're in tech doesn't necessarily mean you're not a Democrat. Or just because it doesn't mean you're not a Republican. And right, if you're sitting right. there and you see something like that, I don't like him making fun of Anthony Blinken like that. Let me take that off. Let me take that off. And like, and and what's wild about that is it doesn't work the other way. Right. I mean, what the Twitter files gets across is that a political actor can say, I don't like what that person said. Get rid of it. But if I did that on the exact same comment, don't care. Probably fine. Right. Yeah, because be fine. it's Garland is Garland. Yeah. Just like with you. When you would be like, this is viciously racist. And they're like, no, we don't see anything wrong with that. That's okay. No, you're a Russian yeah. agent. And so everything so, is fair game okay. to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's that nonsense. And so it's like just because you're in software, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not politically inclined. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's clear like that else. decisions were being made based on politics. Yes. That's what it seems like. I mean, by definition, if a political party says get rid of this and you get rid of it, you're making a decision based on a political thing. And again, that seems to run grotesquely afoul of um, Section 230. I mean, they are making publishing choices. Oh. Yeah. And those publishing choices are being done for everybody. It's been done for a very select right. click of people who these guys are basically ingratiated right. with. It's either balls and strikes, you're calling balls and strikes, yes. balls and strikes. Or hands off. Or you're just, the ref is not at the game. This is like the, strike, this is like the, the um, railroad strike thing. It's like, so the government is going to get involved to help the corporation. Either you stay out of it or oh, you... Speaking of that, yeah. I know we skipped our break and, and we're oh, into no your monologue, but did you guys see or at least hear... Uh, we were complaining, or at least I was. I was complaining, what, two weeks ago? Like, where's Pete Buttigieg? Yes, where's Pete? Where is Mayor where's Pete? Pete? Well, Pete has been Mayor. found? Secretary Pete. Secretary Pete has emerged from the darkness, and he showed up on CNN the other night uh-huh. with Jake Tapper. Yeah. And Jake Tapper, of all people, I, I suppose he thought he was not entering the lion's den. Uh-huh. So Mayor Pete probably thought he was coming into friendly territory. And then Jake laid the hammer on him multiple really? times wow. about late, like union busting, yeah. the rail workers and, and deserving, um, you know, PTO, yeah. paid time off. And then he even went as far as to talk about, well, you took time off for your baby. Oh, Jake Tapper. So sometimes. Shout out to wow. Jake. Sometimes Jake goes there. How, do, how was so, the response? Yeah, yeah, what was Pete's response? It was, he just talked about, well, the Biden administration uh, platform is that we believe all full-time workers should have, you know, paid time off. Yeah. Full-time workers, blah, blah, blah. It was he a talking point. So he went he into went robot mode. Robot yeah. Pete. Robot Pete. He didn't, he did not even address his own personal wow. stuff. He just went into, listen, and the he, Biden he administration. Can. I like, love he's that. actually pretty good at. More personable. Yeah. yeah. It's like, he was but not. Pete, you took two months off. You don't think these workers, these right. vital workers that were there deserve during COVID deserve more day? than one day? Oh, that is brutal. He just went straight into talking points. 
He deflected. It's like, pew, pew, block, block, pew. And just did not. It's like, I thought Biden was a labor president. Yeah, but Jake, to his credit, I'll give credit where credit's Good due. Good job, Jake. Good, Good job, job on Jake, Jake Tapper. But I think, see, so for all the, the BSery that CNN puts out, yeah. um, you know, kind of licking boots of the DNC and, and those political acolytes that come out of there, Pete being one of them, maybe they used it to to attract and lull them into a false sense of security <laughs> to come in. They do a four-dimensional chest. It's like, we're going to make them think everything out. is great. And then yeah. lower the boom yeah. at the exact and, moment. And Jake just bit his head off this time. And I was like, wow. Pete was probably bewildered. Yes. But this is supposed to be CNN. Yeah. supposed to be a safe you're space. You're supposed yeah. to be my friend. Yeah. It's supposed to be a safe I space. I like this. What is but this? I'll give Pete that. He stuck it out. He didn't. He didn't Kanye and just leave. <laughs> well, leaving is worse. Leaving is worse. Because yeah, nothing Jake is asking him is wrong. No. All of this is Well, I mean, he's also not Kanye because he's an official right. in the government. So he can't just drop the mic and yeah. leave. Like, I'm done with this. So he you, Jake did Tapper. His best just leave. Deflecting and going straight back to talking points. Approved governmental talking points. Shout out to Jake Tapper. I am so glad he did that. Because those were the questions we were asking. It was like, how are you okay with this? This guy's supposed to be a Labor president. Pete Buttigieg was basically invisible for God knows how long, yeah. despite the fact that this is like, his I job. I wasn't even sure if he came back after Baby. Me either, because I hadn't heard anything him. about him. Right. You didn't see him. Yeah, didn't see him or hear anything about him. Right. Good job, Jake so I Tapper. I just want to say about the baby thing, Pete did not get a baby out of his body. No, he did not. And he took more time off than I did. Yes, he did. So takes time off that most people. Let me just put that into perspective. I, I can tell you this. When I went to um, buy my wedding ring, the woman who was there was pregnant. She was supposed to have a baby in about two weeks. And she was going to basically work up until the point of the, the baby because she couldn't yes. afford it. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Pete got two weeks, two months off. I think he took more. So put that into perspective. Pete had no cuts to him in order no. to pull that baby out at all. Pete no. didn't even hold the baby. I wonder if he tried to breastfeed. Chest feed. Sorry, that's the new term. Chest, All right. Chest on that, feed. On that one. That's a real thing, JT. They Man. call it chest feeding. Breastfeeding. Men don't breastfeed. I know, I know. But it's a funny image of Mayor Pete trying to bond. do that. Yeah. Trying to bond. Trying to bond with his kid. That's like, why he's gone for suckle so Suckle on, on my Pete nipple. Um, all right. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas Chan <laughs> Abdul will be back in a moment. Fault Lines. Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Che and Malik Abdul coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what we're putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with the chat, the tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make the show what it is. Don't be shy. We'll try to get to you at either 845 or, for that matter, 945. But I want to go into our guest. We're joined with Dan Kavalik. Dan Kavalik is an American human rights, labor rights lawyer and peace activist. He's also a professor at the University of Pittsburgh. Dan, welcome to the show, my man. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for joining us. So I want to get into right here, Argentine, Argentina's former um, prime minister, a former president, 
His, and I'll just read it. Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, a political titan in Argentina, was found guilty on Tuesday and sentenced to six years in prison and banned from holding public office for a fraud scheme that directed public roadworks contracts to family and friends while she was first lady and president. Can you give us details on this? It's so very few and far between when you see a, basically a president of a country um, to prosecute it, let alone go to jail. Can you give me a take on what's going on? How did this break down? Give us a a general summary of this before we get further into the story? Well, first of all, there's a lot of things about this that uh, seem suspicious. It turns out that the judges involved in the case are very closely connected to the former right-wing president, Macri. And this seems to be politically motivated. It looks a lot like the case that was brought against Lula in Brazil where he was put in jail and, in fact, sidelined during the 2018 elections because he was in jail. It turned out that that prosecution was politically motivated and, in fact, that it was pushed from Washington by the uh, Justice Department in something that later uh, came to be known as the car wash campaign. And so this looks very akin to this. Uh, It looks to be a means to sideline a very popular politician uh, who also happens to be left-wing and who's challenging neoliberal, uh, the neoliberal system, challenging U.S. hegemony. And so a lot of people feel that this is uh, a setup. A political prosecution. And like you said, to your point, a lefty, um, they called her movement Kirchizimo. Kirchizimo, I love that. Um, and... You know, basically, and it does, there are similarities with this. She's the current vice president. She's basically saying that at the end of her term, she's going to step down in order to, I guess, focus on this. Um, Her term concludes at the end of the year. Six years. So this is going to go to the um, Argentina Supreme Court. Um, I mean, when this took place in Brazil, you had basically a popular lefty president that they dragged through the mud. And in this particular election, they could use the term, oh, that guy's corrupt. The guy did this and that, despite the fact that they basically let him out of prison. Do you think something like that is going to end up taking place here? Like this is a political prosecution with the idea of damaging a lefty candidate. Well, I think that's exactly what it is. Not only to to damage her, to damage her party, to, you know, damage the reputation of her views. And again, you know, this is not unique even to Argentina or Brazil. This was a similar thing done to President Manuel Zelaya in Honduras. That's right. uh, Where he was overthrown in a coup, but that was preceded with claims that he was violating the Constitution by trying to hold a referendum. And, you know, in that case, they put in a drug lord as the president. Well, exactly, exactly. This happened in Paraguay, too, to a president who was a liberation theologian. So this is the new thing what a lot of uh, critics call lawfare, right? That instead of overthrowing a leader that the U.S. doesn't like through a violent coup. They're using uh, legal mechanisms to sideline them and get rid of them. And I think this is very much akin to that. But is there even a kernel of truth to it? Like meaning sometimes, because you can use lawfare, but there could be, let's say, a kernel of something that's true in it, even though it's still being used for these kind of political ends. No, fair enough. I mean, from what I can tell, and I've been following this case very closely, it seems to me that this is trumped up, that there is not solid evidence against uh, Christina in this case, and that this is uh, pure politics that's happening. 
That is unfortunate. That is unfortunate. Yeah. And Dan, can I just point out the obvious <laughs> hypocrisy here that, I mean, in, in all so-called Western democracies, whoever is in power, guess what? Their friends who happen to be in certain industries also get contracts. I mean, I, I mean, who's to say that just because, I mean, I'm not knocking anybody on any side of this, but if, if you are a person in power and your friend actually has, runs a good company, you know, company ABC that does whatever, I mean, it, this is very common practice. I don't see why it, I mean, I haven't seen all the evidence laid out against her, but this is common practice because if you know people in certain industries, then you trust your friend to do the job of whatever. Yeah, I even heard of a guy named Joe Biden who <laughs> helped his son get a job in uh, Ukraine after the coup <laughs> Biden uh, helped support. And, and, and he got him a job in the gas industry, even though his son have, has no experience <laughs> in the gas industry. So, yeah, this seems to happen all the time. And that didn't prevent uh, this guy named Joe Biden from uh, becoming president of the United States. So, uh yeah, it's just it's ridiculous to me. It's like sometimes your friend is the most qualified. Sometimes your son isn't. Sometimes but- <laughs> I mean, Harry Reid, Harry Reid, um, Bob Bigelow for the UFO thing. He picked Bob Bigelow, a friend of his. From, um, but he's qualified. Yeah, he's qualified. Right. Yeah, Bob It's Bigelow's called nepotism. Totally it's something we don't like. It's something we frown upon. But yeah, most of the time it's not illegal. Right. Right. And it, and it happens a lot across government. Um, I, you, we across political spectrum. Across political spectrums. There are mechanisms in, for instance, like the federal government to prevent certain forms yeah. of nepotism. But it's not <laughs> outlawed. Like, yeah. Totally like illegal. But Dan, what, what, what do you think of just how this sentencing, how it would impact the current president, um, Alberto Fernandez. I think that's, that's, yeah, Alberto Fernandez. How do you think that will actually impact him? Because we've been reading about how he's also facing a tough battle um, to fend off a a challenge from a conservative opposition in general elections set for next year. So how do you think this would impact that? Well, certainly it's going to hurt him. I mean, when your vice president gets sentenced, you know, for a crime, that's obviously going to tarnish you. But the other thing it does is she's actually to the left of him and has kind of been pushing a more left-wing agenda and kind of keeping him honest in terms of staying on a progressive path. And I think that will certainly end now with this. Oh, so you think she's going to basically tack, or he's going to tack to the right on some level with her gone? She's been a real left-wing pole. There's been conflict between them because she is much more progressive. And so I think... Now there'll be nothing to kind of hold him from his apparently natural rightward drift. I'm curious, how is the public regarded this? Well, I think they're up in arms because she is very popular. And by the way, she just survived an assassination attempt right. a few months ago. Someone tried to shoot her at point blank range and his gun uh, jammed. I mean, right. she is very much someone literally under the gun. Right. Yeah. But she is very, very popular. And I think that people will not stand for this. I'm curious, from the standpoint of the policies that these guys have implemented, you were saying that he's a little bit more to the right than she is. What have these guys done with, with being in office up to this point? Well, the one, the one thing that really has upset the U.S. is that uh, they have uh, moved away from the IMF and closer to Russia and China on financial transactions because they found, of course, the IMF to be 
uh, oppressive in terms of its uh, interest demands and austerity demands. And so now they've moved eastward to get help and to get loans. And that has really upset the United States. And I think that is probably something that has really motivated the antipathy towards Christina. I see, because they basically blame her for this. Uh, from, from your take on this, there seems to be this kind of new pink tide taking place in South America. And Brazil, Argentina, um, I, I forget the other name of the states, but many of those states basically ended up trending to the left um, hard. Now, we reported the story the other day about the Monroe Doctrine being put into place, I believe it was a week or so ago. From your take on this, do you think, like, what effect do you think this is going to have on this kind of relationship between the U.S. versus these countries? I mean, like I said, all things being equal, we are not necessarily a fan of left-wing governments, all things being equal, especially not in the South. And so the fact that all of these guys have basically trended themselves to the left, for one, do you think many of these guys have a clear idea, like Bolivia, for example, that the U.S. interests can intervene into the political affairs, meaning are they going to take measures in order to try to stabilize their own political situation in the South, given that so many of these governments have trended to the left? I, I think they're going to have to. I mean, even in Bolivia, there have been recent violent uh, right-wing attacks against uh, government institutions, there, you know, which some people have categorized as you know, an attempted coup. And of course, there was a coup there in 2019 against Evo Morales. So yes, I mean, absolutely, uh, people are going to, the left wing is going to have to batten down the hatches. I mean, in Brazil as well, there, it's you know, not clear that uh, Lula is going to be uh, inaugurated in a smooth way because uh, Bolsonaro has made trouble for him as well and has made some murmurings that he may not give up power easily. So look, I mean, I think the point is, and what we're seeing from all this is that you know, the U.S. and the right-wing cronies it has in Latin America are not going away quietly. And this is going to be a battle. You know, we did have a pink tide, and that was turned back greatly through these types of machinations. And if these governments, these left-wing governments are not careful, that could very well happen again. Going to the Brazil thing for me, you mentioned that Bolsonaro may not necessarily hand over powers easily or is the way that it was expected on the day of the election or yeah, a couple of days after the election. there also? Please. Because there are, since we're, we've, everyone's talking about Twitter right now, um, there's also murmurings about um, Twitter suppressing the right, which are the supporters of Bolsonaro, and that there were massive, there were protests that okay. I don't think a lot of people, protests in favor of Bolsonaro saying that, you know, these elections were flawed and what have you. The uh, but the Twitter aspect of it comes into play because they're saying, well, look, you know, Twitter, we can see, was basically shadow banning the right. And we know that now, the right in America, um, you know, conservatives in America. And the same, they're saying, well, the same was happening here in Brazil to the conservatives on Bolsonaro's side that Twitter interfered, you know, they say ostensibly Twitter interfered in our elections by favoring Lula tweets. Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't know much about that. What I do know is that, yes, there were, vi what I do know is that the right wing was engaged both during the election and after in violent provocations and attempts during the election to prevent voters from voting. The military was actually involved in that and that there have been violent protests against uh, Lula from taking office, and that, you know, a number of 
you know, there are photos of these protesters against uh, Lula giving the Zig Heil Nazi salute, you know, so that I know about, you know, the Twitter stuff, I, I, I must say, I, I have not heard anything about. I don't doubt that possibly that's true. I'm not sure it made any difference. Right. In Brazil, I don't know how much even Brazilians use Twitter. I just have no idea. No, I'm, I'm with you on that one. It's just some, something people are starting to, I don't know if it's because it's, it's bandwagoning, I mm-hmm. suppose, because everyone's talking about Twitter right now. Yeah. And there was an opportunity for, for Bolsonaro supporters to say, well, look, well, you know, he was Trump of the tropics, yeah, right? So right. If, if Trump supporters here were saying the same thing, then it would make Oof, sense to apply to the, it yeah. to Bolsonaro. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly, you know, that's possible, though. Again, that sounds like some bootstrapping. There is some creative, (laughs) you know, argumentation to justify the fact their candidate lost. But uh, and like you said, they had the highway patrol on the ground, basically trying to inhibit votes. I mean, even the protests at the end of the protest, there were pictures or images of some of the cops helping the protesters as they, you know, prevented food from getting point A to point B, medical supplies, all that stuff. It was a mess. But um. Several days for this. But what is he doing that's inhibiting the ability for Lula to take power? You mentioned that he was getting involved in hijinks. I mean, at the point of several days after the fact, after the election, he came out, basically said, I'm helping with the transition, et cetera. And it made it seem as if everything was basically going to be on the level as Lula takes power. You're saying that's not the case now, though. Something has basically changed. Well, I think there's, you know, he has said that, but he's said other things, too. I mean, he has also said that he may not let him take power, that he may... Uh, use the military to prevent that. He, I mean, for a long time, he's made it clear he supported the military coup in 1964. Uh, and again, there have been continued violent protests and provocations, as you say, uh, supported by the police. So, you know, I'm not going to count Lula in until he's actually in. And even once he is in, I'm sure those sorts of things will continue against him. Again, they, they resorted to even putting him in jail to keep him out of power. So I, I think that, you know, the right wing, again, is not done in Brazil. And the U.S. is not done with the right wing in Brazil. Hey, Dan, I wanted to ask you about uh, Lazaro Baez. He was the guy, the business, and I'm just go, actually going um, back in, back to Argentina here, but he was the guy who was convicted of money laundering. Um, he was initially, I think a, it was a 12-year sentence, but... There was another case. So he ended up coming. He's involved in this as well. And this is all part of the idea um, that the vice president, she was involved in this scheme, this kickback scheme. But was there ever any evidence? Because I've been doing some reading on it myself. But was we know that there were 11 people who were initially on trial. And I think seven of those were actually found guilty of something. But were they ever able to tie anything to the vice president directly. Again, from what I've seen, all those types of links are very sketchy when it comes to her. Uh, It's very circumstantial. And uh, again, which makes me think that that this is nothing but but a political maneuver. Yeah, because that's a lot of a lot of what we're reading. But it's also that it doesn't seem as if she she has some level of government immunity that means that she wouldn't serve jail time. She apparently could be barred um, for life if her appeal fails. She could be barred for life, but it doesn't seem as if she would um, get jail time. Is that true? Well, I'm not sure because she has immunity as long as she's vice president. But once her term is up, 
she loses that. You can be put in jail for things you did while an official, especially if it's claimed that what you did was outside your authority to do, which I think they are claiming. So I don't think she's immune from from jail time Mm. in the same way that Lula wasn't right, because the claims against him were for when he was uh, president of Brazil. So and we see that with Trump now, too. They're going after him for things he did uh, while he was president. So that immunity does not last forever. Once you're a civilian again, that that goes away. Dan, can I can I switch your switch gears over to Nicaragua? Because the last time you and I were were uh, talking, we talked about Nicaragua. And um, first, give us a plug for your your upcoming your forthcoming book. Yeah, so I have a book coming out in January called Nicaragua: A History of U.S. Intervention and Resistance, and it's about the 150 year history of the U.S. intervening in Nicaragua to try to dominate it, to try to dominate its resources and financial resources, and uh, most recently in order to overthrow the Sandinista government. And that continues to this day. The U.S. now has imposed since 2018 several rounds of economic sanctions. The biggest one is recently they've announced they're uh, sanctioning Nicaraguan gold, which I guess is really going to hurt the Nicaraguan economy. They've also um, they had a preferential uh, terror, a tariff uh, a regime with Nicaragua for a long time on their rice. They've now removed that, making the rice more expensive to import. They're really going after um, Nicaragua economically, and it's hurting them. I mean, it, it is. People are really suffering right now. Yeah. Wall Street Journal just the other day uh, published an op-ed about uh, Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua. That's the president of Nicaragua um, for allegedly persecuting Catholic priests at some seminaries and saying that the Ortega administration is basically attacking religion. And they're basically calling for the Pope. They're calling for the Vatican and for Washington to step in. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, there I, I've not seen any protests or anything, but this this op-ed that's in the Wall Street Journal appears to be calling for some sort of intervention. Yeah, well, what has happened? And you know why there's no protest? Because people want the, the priests that are being arrested to be arrested because <laughs> uh, the, these are bad guys. You know, just because you're a priest doesn't mean you're a good guy. Right. During 2018, the the at least the, the the official Catholic Church, the institutional church in Nicaragua, was very involved in helping organize and support very violent protest against the government, in which over 200 people died. There were guns, cache of guns found in some of the churches, like the one in Messiah. I interviewed a guy in Messiah, Nicaragua, who was captured by the violent protesters, and he woke up in the Catholic Church being tortured. Priest oversaw torture. In fact, he lost his arm as a result of the torture. And by the way, he's a devout Roman Catholic. This is the story that isn't being told. I mean, the church in Nicaragua was taken over by right-wing clerics associated with Opus Dei, and they have agitating against the Ortega government for years. And by the way, Ortega is a deeply religious guy. His uh, his wife, who's also the vice president, has a devotion 
to Our Lady of Guadalupe. These are not anti-religious people. <laughs> His first government in Nicaragua after the revolution had three priests in the government. Liberation theologians, right? The Cardinal brothers and Miguel, Father Miguel de Scoto. He's not an anti-religious guy, but the Catholic Church, he was also close by the end with uh, the Bishop of Managua, Obando y Bravo, who they happened to be from the same town together. And they had some, certainly had some tensions between them, but in the end, they were friends. And uh, when he died, the right wing totally took over the church in Nicaragua and again has engaged in terrible acts against the people, against the government. And yeah, people are being held to account as they should. Uh, the fact that they wear a, a collar doesn't insulate them from that. I, I remember those protests from, or not protests, riots that Dan was talking about. Uh, but but yeah, Nicaragua was, it, only because I recently, I had an advantage on you two here because I would just recently talked to Dan myself and I know that he has an upcoming book and where he oh. got to spend time with President Ortega. So yeah, so yeah, so this, this happening um, right now, so close to the holidays with the these priests being, um, you know, meeting the law. Yeah. Um, the Wall Street Journal calling for, I, and it's an op-ed, yeah. right? But still, publishing something like that, calling for basic, basically like a violent overthrow by way of the Vatican and Washington <laughs> is just very extra to me. Just a lot. Yeah, and by the way, these priests themselves had called for the violent overthrow of Ortega, right? So <laughs> it's really, you know, <laughs> part and parcel of the yeah. same thing. Part of um, the course. Yeah. Yeah, it's par for the course. Um, but that's the story you're not told. Uh, again, if you read my book, I get into some of this, some of the grisly things that not only priests, but bishops were involved in uh, during this uh, coup attempt. They, they were a key part of this violent coup attempt in 2018. And no one, no government would have put up with what they did. And finally, the Nicaraguan government is defending itself, and they should. Yeah, the Sandinista left-wing government. Another a trend that we're seeing across Latin America that, you know, they're the powers that be in Western centers like Washington, D.C. are so unhappy about the left, the left turn down south. Exactly. But, you know, the thing the U.S., of course, is facing is that this is like whack-a-mole. You know, they just can't control the whole world. <laughs> you know, there's so many hot spots in the world. The U.S. cannot control every situation. And, you know, that will be the liberation of the world because they just can't. Right. And um, that's something that gives me comfort. And title of your book one last time. We got to go. Yeah. Nicaragua, a history of U.S. intervention and resistance. Very cool. Dan, thank you for this, my man. Dan Kavalik. Thank you. He's an American human rights, labor rights lawyer, peace activist. He's also a professor at the University of Pittsburgh and, of course, an accomplished author. So there's that. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah thanks, I didn't Dan. know about the um, Nicaragua part. Yeah. And I, it's it's amazing sometimes where you don't necessarily, you see the headline and you don't see under the headline. Right. Like you would have to talk to Dan Cavalli to even know that the stuff is going on. You have to dig beneath the head. Yeah. Right. There's a reason that, that U.S. mainstream media doesn't cover it though. Right. Because it's not working in their favor. Yes. I mean, you have all of these left-wing governments that basically have taken power. I mean, even with evil Morales, what are they coming back into play? Well, that's ripping that government you know, back to the left. And the wild part about that is the U.S. was complaining about the prosecutions for people who were basically helping to overthrow the government. 
It's like, how are you right. complaining? It's like right. these people killed people. They, they accused that of the J6 people. Yes. The rioters here of trying to violent overthrow of the government. But yes. violent overthrow of the government over there is fine. That's we like okay. that. We're okay with that. We're okay with that. That's that cool. part's okay. Because that's not here, Manila. Yeah, that's duh. the people we don't like. Um, but look, let's do this. Let's take a break. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Manila Chan, Malik Abdul. We'll be back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. Comfortably on the right, your favorite conservative cousin, Malik Abdul, and you are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. We are going to have Ted coming up at 8.15. And I am greatly looking forward to this conversation. It's going to be on domestic politics and everything else. Move One of those topics is moving South Carolina to the forefront, meaning South Carolina being the first state as opposed to for primary. Iowa for yes. primary. Um, what do you think of that? I got some theories. We'll, we'll talk about it with, with Ted. We'll give it go to Ted. But, well, let's do the headlines and then we'll talk about this because I, I have my own suspicions. Uh-huh. About why? Oh, it's a power grab. Oh, it's a power grab. Obviously. That's, yeah, that's the tone. And, and before you get to the headlines, and this is something we can talk about it. Actually, maybe it could be a story um, this week. Did you guys hear about Peru with Castillo? <laughs> no. He's facing his third impeachment. Really? His third <laughs> impeachment. And keep in mind, they've had five presidents since 2016. That's they've almost had as five. bad as prime ministers In the UK. Israel. Oh, I was thinking the UK. No, in Israel. Yeah, Israel. That's and right. he was the first left-wing president. Um, there to focus on inequality. And they're trying to get rid of him. Get rid of that guy now and immediately. Well, the UK also. But you know one thing? I am jealous of those direct democracies. Well, you can get rid of the you guy. You can get rid of, yeah, yeah. You can get buyer's remorse and go, you know what? I really shouldn't have bought this, you know, yeah. above ground pool. I'm going to return it. This, parliament. I don't need this. This is dumb. Difference between parliament and what we have. So, yeah, direct like democracy Hamrell. versus our, I don't know what we have. Yeah, <laughs> like the president gets, yeah. I, I don't know. Sometimes I do think a parliament would be better off. Um, and I got to be honest, most of the time I think a parliament would be better I, I off. I definitely want to add the boo. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, that's only in you. No, yeah, that's not, they do that in, um, in a lot of places. They do that in UK. They do that in Australia. And, Australia is places. rougher. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and in, in Asian parliaments, they like throw shoes at each oh, other. Oh, that's right. That's right. I've seen a case where, punches. where the guy turned his back, the opposition turned yes. his back to the prime minister in Australia. Yeah, some of that stuff Cross is your wild. Arm, just, yeah. Just, I'm, and, I'm and a little bit are, into we, that. We spin out of control with you lie. Yeah, you lie. Yeah. I'm a little they bit into wish. that, gotta say. I, I gotta admit. That's why it's fun on, on weekends. I know I'm sounding giving away my, my weekend nerdism, yeah. but on weekends, I turn on. Um, Foreign, their version of C-SPAN. Yeah, and I'll look at the UK Parliament. Recap oh, I love it! I love it. They crack me up. I used to love watching Parliament um, PMQs, parliamentary they, questions. They crack me up. It's great. They I just, used to like Burkaw. Burkaw was um, the well. Let's get into yeah, the they weeds. They start but, yelling but, and, yeah. and booing, and I just I go what. 
that, you know, you know, Congress wants to do that. Pointing a finger at each other. You know it's like on the dispatch box. Oh, it's so great. And, it's they, so and great. the funny thing is the, the UK parliament is the, the British people are supposed to be, you know, stiff upper lip. Yes. Very calm. And they make fun of Americans for being over the top. Yes. But then when we go to Capitol Hill, we're, oh, decorum. How do you lie? That's terrible. He, see, they, they shouted at Barack Obama or Karine Jean-Pierre. I did not call on you. You cannot <laughs> ask that question out of order. Order in my press pool. Trust me, British media is rough also. So is that, yeah. So there's that. Yeah. But agreed. Thousand percent agreed. But look, let's get into headlines. In the news, Georgia has a new senator in the tight runoff election results that happened last night. Senator Raphael Warnock fended off a challenge from Republican Herschel Walker to win a full six-year term that broadened the Democratic majority in the Senate after the turbulent runoff campaign that sharpened partisan divides in one of the nation's most politically competitive states. And I believe I'm calling Georgia a political um, um, competitive state. I, I, I just remember Georgia being deep, deep red when the chance for a Democrat winning there was completely off the table. The idea that Warnock and Ossoff are now the Senate is mind-blowing to me. Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams. What you think she's? Oh, no. you think it's she's the reason for it? Yeah, Stacey. Her her get out to vote operation campaign was able to bring so exists. many more people into the thing. The wow. way that they changed how they get out to vote, Stacey Abrams and a lot of other people. Yeah, but Stacey Abrams was instrumental. She may be a two-time loser, but, but is she a loser at all? Oh, that's the interesting part, right? She might not have been able to get in office, but at really she was able to get other. Infrastructure yes, remains. her influence. Yeah, was able to put those two guys in office. Wow, fascinating. Let's keep going. Elon Musk fires Twitter lawyer Jim Baker, who was involved in the censoring of Hunter Biden's laptop. About time, I suppose. Former Twitter lawyer also involved in the FBI's role in RussiaGate. Journalist Matt Taibbi published internal communications over the weekend that took place among Twitter's top executives in 2020 about how to deal with the New York Post publication of the materials on Hunter Biden's laptop. We had John Kariaku on yesterday discussing his conversation with Matt Taibbi around that. Definitely check that out. That was uh, last hour, if I'm not mistaken. Let's keep going. House and Senate lawmakers unveiled plans for a compromise defense authorization bill, which would boost the military by 8% over the fiscal 2022 levels and rescind the military's COVID-19 vaccine mandate for service members. The $858 billion plan also includes plans for 4.6% pay raise for troops starting next month and nearly $19 billion in extra funding to deal with extra inflation costs on construction, fuel prices, and other military purchases. $858 billion. Oh, my God. Take that money and put it towards civilian uses. Please. It's a jobs program, for God's sake. Um, and a jobs program doesn't necessarily have to be killing people. You can also put it to dealing with things on the home front. That number is so extraordinary. Let's keep going. House Democrats have blocked the Republican amendment that would have strengthened religious liberty protections in the Respect for Marriage Act a bipartisan bill that would require the federal government to recognize all marriages, including same-sex marriages that are legal in the state where they took place. Let's keep going. Vaping company Juul settles over 5,000 vaping lawsuit settlements not disclosed. While financial terms of the settlement were not disclosed, the company says it has received an investment to cover it, and their intention was never to target young consumers and hopes to regain consumers' trust. Whatever. Of course your job is to get young consumers the reason the camel cigarettes used to have a cartoon camel on it was because they needed to expand their customer base. I... Okay, let's keep going. In international news, starting today to the end of the week, Chinese President Xi Jinping will visit Saudi Arabia. Xi or Xi 
was invited by Saudi Arabian King Mossam, oh, Saudi Arabian King Salman bin Abdullah Al Sayoud, or Sayoud. Um, Z and Salman are scheduled to hold a Chinese or Saudi Chinese summit. They would also be attended by Saudi Arabian Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The meeting will focus on developing a strategic partnership between the two countries, given their recent tensions with the United States. Pay attention to that story. That story is, I think, bigger than what I think people realize. The Chinese government has loosened their zero COVID policies amid protests among citizens. The changes do not dismantle the policy, but moves away from the digital passes and those who are infected can quarantine at home instead of blocking off the whole block or staying in a makeshift hospital. The adjustments to zero COVID policy started earlier last month, and this was, of course, in response to the protests. In Germany, officials arrested dozens of members of the so-called Reich Citizens Movement on suspicions of plotting to overthrow the German government. Many of those detained had military training and were believed to belong to a recently formed group that operated on a conviction that the country was ruled by a, quote, deep state, unquote, by deep state. The House and Senate Armed Services Committee reached an agreement on the National Defense Authorization Act for the fiscal year of 2023 with committee leadership agreeing to act, an act that would exclude Russian government officials from the G20 and other international institutions according to the released documents. However, according to the Russian foreign minister, the attempt to isolate Russia will fail, saying the majority of other nations won't support such an attempt by the United States. Let's keep going. A court in Argentina has sentenced Vice President Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner of six years in jail for the fraudulent administration awarding public contracts to friends. But according to experts, she is unlikely to serve jail time. She has some immunity via her government roles and expected to launch a lengthy appeals process. She says she's going to basically stay in office until the end of her term, um, in which case I suppose she is going to fight this. Let's keep going. In economics and finance, U.S. trade deficit widens as slowing global demand pushes goods exports to seven-year low, suggesting that trade could drag on, could be a drag on economic growth this quarter if the trend persists. The report from the U.S. Department of Commerce followed on the heels of recent upbeat news on the economy, ranging from consumer spending, labor market, and the services industry. And as we like to point out, oftentimes those numbers are jury-rigged. I mean, for God's sake, if I'm a person who's in this country, random person, random guy, um, I work, I do, you know, have a living, all of this stuff. If my prices increase because of what I'm paying for food, or for that matter, gas, but you don't include food and gas in your... Um, your inflation estimates, then you're basically given a dummy number. That's not the number that people are experiencing on a daily basis. You can use this argument, oh, those numbers fluctuate too fast. Whether they fluctuate fast or not is a secondary to the point that people are paying those numbers when you are basically excluding them from your calculation. Let's keep going. On this day in history, Manila Jan was birthed today. We're still doing that. We're still doing that. <laughs> Manila Chan was happy birthday. Oh. Mr. Oh. President, Ooh, it's getting happy birthday, spicy happy in here. birthday <laughs> to you. That is spicy. Thank you. Thank you, JT. That was sexy. Yeah, yeah. Let me put my, you, you put my shirt save, back on. got to save that for the girlfriend. Oh, right, right. Oh. <laughs> you got to get jealous. Sorry, Mama Thomas. Yeah, yeah I know. Your mom is listening. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, put your shirt back on. Put your shirt back on. Um, on this day in history, and of course, also, 1941, Japanese bombers launched an attack on the United States Naval Base on Pearl Harbor and Oahu, Hawaii. 
after the Pearl Harbor attack, the United States entered the Second World War. Yes. I mean, Hitler declared war on us. We were going after Japan. Hitler declared war, making us get involved in it a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, there's that. But look, those are your headlines. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas Chan Abdul. A day that will live in infamy. God, I love that speech. There's a certain speech that rings through um, history to me. John F. Kennedy's speech about going to the moon. That speech by FDR. Country was attacked. The president has to go out to the nation and give a speech. Day which will live in infamy. Did, did W do any better after the 9-11 attacks? Did he give any resounding no. speech that, rem- you know, people that are seared? You did say he, he did? I don't well, remember. And, I, and I'll say he did, and I can't even remember. I mean, it was actually one of, because that was, he was in the moment and remember. Did he have that, a hot take, though, a hot line, like a day, day that will live yeah. in Because I don't remember his speech after 9-11. who wrote the, because, you know, he, it wasn't Noonan. Um, I'm trying oh, to think who Noonan, wrote yeah. this because he had some good lines. Oh, did like, he? I don't remember. Writers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had some good speech writers, but I can't remember who actually wrote this speech. But he act- and and this is me as a Democrat remembering. Yeah, right. That so not me as a Republican right. saying, oh, he did some. Right. Yeah, no, he. I, I remember, but I also remember at the time the um, Fahrenheit Fahrenheit night the the Michael Moore right. pink yes. the pink some the the people who were protesting it Cindy Sheehan. Mm-hmm. I also remember them at that time, and that colored the perspective that people had of the speeches and stuff. of the speech itself because it was a lot of oh gee the pink they wore pink all the time I can't remember who they wore she code was a, pink she was an anti war protester code pink is that was that what it Medea was? Benjamin no Cindy Sheehan Cindy Sheehan. Cindy Sheehan oh don't tell me I'm remembering I'm I'm that Sheehan. old I, I remember that one yes yeah, yeah, so I don't remember Sheehan. the the whole nine eleven speech and me either and like George nothing that, W Bush yeah, nothing is ringing a bell for me for George Bush right I don't so feel I'm like I was imp- particularly <laughs> I was not particularly impressed by anything he had to say same here so none of that stuck in my head but I but the they hate us for freedom that's what I remember they hate us for freedom right I remember that I remember a lot of negative stuff yeah. about W but you know FDR there was a lot of dirty stuff on FDR too, but however, he did give that one great speech. That speech was phenomenal. I mean, the fireside chats, the, right. um, I mean, even that, that thing, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. That was like one of his first speeches when he got into office talking about the Great Depression and all. Good speeches. Yeah, he was good. Just saying. Um, but look, let's do this. Let's take a break. We're coming back with Ted Rawls. Oh, I bet Ted knows. Oh, of course he Ted knows. Ted is like a walking encyclopedia. Yeah, so. it, it, he I always, bullets in New York. <laughs> I always say that his profile doesn't give him enough credit because that man is a walking encyclopedia. You are so right. But look, let's do this. Let's take a break. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas Chan Abdul will be back in a moment with the one and only Ted Raw. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host Manila Chan and Malik Abdul coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what we're putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202 521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is. Don't be shy. We'll try to get to you at 945 or 845 if time permits. 
And I want to get into this conversation around South Carolina being added to the first state of the primary. Well, first, let's pick Ted's brain. Since oh, yeah, he's we a history book. No, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to bring them in. But basically, all things being equal, they're changing or the Democrats want to put South Carolina first. And this, I think, is a power grab. Let's bring in Ted. Ted Rawl is a political cartoonist and syndicated columnist. Ted, how's it going, my man? How are you doing this morning? I'm good, Jamal. How are you doing? We are doing great. Better that you are with us. And we were coming up with a um, trivia question. What was right. Well, because since today is no, it's not just because it's my birthday. Yeah. It's because it's Pearl Harbor Day. Uh-huh. And we remember, you know, the, the great speeches, you know, day that will live in infamy, mm-hmm. these great sound bites. So with 9-11, it's not that far back in history. That's right. None of us can clearly remember George W. Bush saying anything spectacular about it that would be emblazoned into the collective conscience of Americans. Well, we'll be talking about 50 years later. George yeah, Bush said this. Like we did, can't even remember 20 years w later. Did W say anything that stood out on about 9-11? About 9-11, yes, uh, but not on 9-11. Remember, he was hiding. He was running around, all uh, hopscotching across the country on Air Force One in his uh, airborne, un, uh, un, undisclosed secret location. And uh, nobody knew where the president was. I've read that he was frustrated about this and then finally, ultimately, at the end of the day, insisted on returning to Washington. Uh, but he had basically followed the Secret Service and uh, and was hiding out. Uh, he gave that speech. I always called it the steaming pile speech on the uh, rubble of, uh, of the World Trade Center. And uh, he most notably said the people who – someone said, I can't hear you. And then he ad-libbed. The people who did this will hear from us. That's probably, I think, a few days later. I I think it's the most notable Bush thing. And then later, he kind of ramped up the rhetoric about, like, where to get them in their caves and stuff like that. And then he attacked the wrong country and killed a million people in Iraq. (laughs) Yeah, well, he attacked the wrong, Afghanistan was the wrong country, too. I mean, you know, but yeah. So, uh, yeah. And yeah, wow. Yeah, I, I don't remember any like um, clear core um, lines. And it, the one that you mentioned was like an ad lib. Right. It wasn't even part of his main speech. Oh, yeah, that is that. that, that is, uh, that's actually yeah, probably remember. the one. Was that, that the ad lib you're thinking about? Yeah. Those, they're here in our caves. I can hear you. The world hears you. The people, we will get to something any, like that. Me either. Yeah, any so of you it. don't remember the, the him I remember him on being the on a rubble. rubble. I, I don't remember the, the rubble. The visual. Yeah. But oh, wow. I don't remember him saying anything that I was like, oh, that's, that is my. American president. At, point, president. at that point, most of the people had rallied around him. So it wasn't like right. people were hating him at the time. So it wasn't like you had a negative impression of him when he was saying that stuff. You know why? And, and I just thought about why it rings to me. It's because on that day, on 9-11, I was working at the U.S. Chamber, which is right across from the White House. Oh, so okay. That makes sense. Much you more, were there. It was more visceral. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, not going to get into 9-11 yeah, conversation, yeah, yeah. but yeah. yes. I was there. So it's, that's why. I was like, why do I remember this? But that's why, because I huh. saw the people running from the White House. Yeah. Oh. Interesting. Um, but Ted, let's South get Carolina. the war done first. Yeah, yeah. Let's go there first. Uh, South Carolina is my own thing. I'm just curious. Uh, I'm fascinated by that one because I think that is a power grab. But let's go with Warnock. Warnock beats um, Herschel Walker in the Senate race. He's going to get six years from here on out. Give me a take on that. I mean, are you surprised that the race was this close? I mean, we're making a point here that Herschel Walker is an extremely flawed candidate. But all things been equal, he only won by like four points at the most. I think it was like three or four points. Give me your take on this particular race. There are things that shouldn't be, but that but they're nevertheless not surprising. And this would be one of them. 
uh, you know, obviously Walker never should have been a viable candidate. And uh, he, the fact that he came so close says a lot about our system and, uh, and, and about the two parties as they stand. But, uh, you know, once we observe that what happened, the outcome of the uh, general election in November, this was kind of, we knew this was going to be a tight race as well. So, you know, I think I think this outcome is was kind of expected that uh, Warnock would win uh, by a point or two. And uh, so here we go. Uh, you know, the big spin here is that this really uh, sort of neutralizes the uh, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema situation within the Democratic Party. I don't see how that how that's so, because. Those two really are kind of a two-person voting block in the Senate. Uh, it's not like you typically see a situation where one votes with the Democrats and the other doesn't. Uh, but it does certainly make judicial confirmations easier in case someone switches parties or uh, someone gets sick and dies or you know whatever. Uh, it sort of gives them a, a micro buffer a little bit of one vote that one vote. helps the Democrats, uh, you know, get, get a judge through. Uh, I, I think that's the main outcome here. Uh, it also shows really Democrats that they have a lot more work to do in Georgia, which, you know, they, they think that it, they were really thinking, Oh, this will become a blue state. It's obviously a purple state still. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at the race. I'm looking at Herschel Walker differently now because I, I and I made it known the person that I supported in the primary was Kelvin King. Kelvin King is a um, black former vet businessman down in Atlanta. I mean, down in Georgia. You and know I, him, right? Yes. Um, I thought that he would have made a uh, very um, good candidate against uh, Warnock himself. But as I said earlier, I'm there are two things. So there are a lot of people blaming Mitch McConnell. They blame Donald Trump. They blame Herschel Walker themselves. But I think that we cannot ignore Georgians role in this. Why do I say that? It's because I mentioned it on yesterday. Herschel, I I buy I'm willing to buy the idea that a better candidate should have been chosen. Mine was Kelvin King. However, Herschel Walker won by 68 percent. His closest competitor was 13 percent. So in Georgia, I would like to ask the Georgians who are maybe upset with Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump or whomever, you got you guys voted for him like 68 percent. That's not a small margin. So who would who is the better candidate in Georgia that would have won against Herschel Walker? I think that there were um, that they, they were attracted to the celebrity nature of whom he was, which is why Mitch McConnell um, endorsed him eight or so months before the primary yeah. because there was a lot of hope on what this would be. And it could be because we saw what happened in Utah with Burgess Owens. Burgess Owens is another former NFL player who won his congressional race. He was a different candidate than Herschel Walker. But the fact that Herschel Walker came so close, and let's be clear, the margin between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker was closer than Stacey Abrams and um, Brian, Brian Kemp. Kemp. Yeah. So Stacey Abrams, a great candidate, a wonderful candidate, didn't do as well as Herschel Walker. So, like, Georgia is its own yeah. thing because they put Herschel, the, at least the Republicans, they put him in there, but when it came to voting for him, they didn't vote for him in the same. So it's like, buyer, I don't know if they had buyer's remorse. remorse. Maybe. 
where they're okay, okay, well, yeah, let's give him 68% of our vote, but then let's not turn out in the same numbers to support him. And in fact, let's split the ticket. Well, maybe they just got to know him. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, yeah. buyers were more. Yeah. They got to see that, oh, okay, we liked him as the football star. When he was running the ball, he was great. him to be as bad yeah. as he is. And maybe that's what it is, because otherwise it's hard to explain mm-hmm. the split ticket. Like, you guys voted for Herschel Walker overwhelmingly. Then when it came to the primary, it was, I mean, to a gen, it was a split ticket. Yeah. It, I don't know. What do you think, Ted? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, no, I agree. I, look, I think the situation's highly analogous to Dr. Oz in, in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, you start with a, a candidate who uh, you know, has incredible name recognition um, through due to his celebrity but then the voters get to know them, and uh, and they're not as impressed. And then a lot of the Republican support sort of becomes more tepid, um, you know. And, and I think the the killer with Walker was that he wasn't called out for something that Democrats or liberal voters or cultural liberal voters would be upset about, namely uh, his uh, sexual indiscretions or his hypocrisy. It was the fact that he paid for abortions. So this was sucking away, sapping at the, at his own support within among GOP conservative evangelical voters. It's like this guy's a dog, and he's and and he's uh, you know paying for abortions, and you know this and it goes to the root of whether we you know you could trust him as a pro life candidate. So you know that's what did him in. It's the fact that by conservative Georgian standards, what was revealed about him was devastating. Those um, things, that, but he never had those bona fides. What that's do you mean? That's the problem. He never had those conservative bona fides. Oh, I see. I see. Well, that's it, why it was all like a, a, a make-believe. Like it yeah. wasn't based on any, it was based on an idea yeah. of who Herschel Walker was. But I do that's think fair. that Herschel Walker is much he was a much different candidate in a much different situation than even Oz because Oz was a smart guy. He could articulate himself. There wasn't there. I think the biggest problem with Oz, if you go back and look at the primary between Oz and the person, um, can't think of his name, who came in number two, there was about an 8.8% difference between Oz, Oz and Mike, whatever his name. I can't think of who it was, who he, who he ultimately beat. But the the larger problem in Pennsylvania, people don't really talk about this, is that there was a move for this lady called, this lady named Kathy Barnett. Kathy Barnett was a black, I think, former vet, um, you know, um, the well, vet, current vet, um, maybe a businessman or something. But she was way out there. I mean, Barack Obama is a Muslim. Oh, um, Gay people, you know, are bad. I mean, she was way out there. However, there was a move from Jack Brewer. Jack Brewer, another former NFL star. Now a super conservative. Everybody loves him. There was a move with him, Jack Probazak. I can't, I can't. Prozobic. Jack Prozobic and many others who were pushing Kathy Barnett. And they were angry that they were, that Donald Trump endorsed Oz over Kathy Barnett. And Kathy Barnett pulled some of those votes away from Oz. So, you, I mean, so Walker is a little, like, Walker had no competition. Yeah. Walker had none. Like, we're talking, what, 40, 40 50 points. Yeah, difference. he decimated. He had none. But in Oz's case, Oz's did do. But, Ted, what do you think this means um, moving forward? We talked about, of course, the balance of power. But even, you know, going back to what Jamal was saying about 
the, the, the change. Now, my position on this change, and I say this as someone who attended the 2008 Rules and Bylaw Committee meeting here at the Omni Shoreham Hotel that decided, uh, ultimately decided not to count the votes for Florida and Michigan back in 2008. So I understand what the process is, but I also acknowledge that if the rules were as Biden wants now with South Carolina being first, we would have no Barack Obama as president because Barack Obama had no infrastructure at all. And it wasn't until he won Iowa that it gave people the belief that, ah, Barack Obama can actually win. Because keep in mind, Barack Obama went on to lose several states, particularly New Hampshire, to Hillary Clinton. And this was all before the South Carolina primary. So this seems like, yeah, you said it, this seems like a move to definitely help not just Biden, but any well-heeled candidate. You have to have the infrastructure moving forward because South Carolina is a make or break state now. Well, yeah, I mean, South Carolina is a conservative state and it's a much more populous state. It's much easier, as you say, it's much cheaper uh, to campaign in uh, the Iowa caucuses and in new tiny little New Hampshire, even though it gets really cold, but it's cheaper than to uh, campaign in South Carolina. And uh, South Carolina, you know, obviously was where Bernie Sanders hit the hit a wall, hit a uh, sort of red wall in in 2020. Um, and so, if this change were to happen, I know that like the 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 proposal would be then to go to Michigan. Uh, second, which would then at least give you, after uh, a progressive Democrat, the chance to, uh, you know, campaign in the Rust Belt and uh, and certainly a home of populism. Uh, there's there would be a chance there, but you know that whoever wins that first primary, that's a big that really makes a big impression. Now, yeah, that's it. That's that said, there are a lot of people who won first primaries who ended up not being the nominee, uh, uh, you know, Muskie in 1972, uh, for example. So, uh, you South know, it, Carolina it's, saved John McCain, remember? Not determinative. Yeah. And John McCain, that's right. So I think, um, you know, to me, it's, uh, I, I, look, the order of the states is absolutely going to determine uh, who the, who the, who the nominees uh, are in, in many cases. And, uh, you know, these rules make a huge difference. I, I, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the sitting in the rules committee in 2008, uh, in 1980, I was at the democratic national convention in New York when they changed the rules so that uh, you, that the delegates became bound to the results of the primaries, uh, which they had not been which is why you could have brokered conventions. It was more like the primaries were like a friendly suggestion to the delegates of who to vote for, but they didn't really have to. And, you know, so in 1980, that mattered because the center of gravity had shifted away from Jimmy Carter, the incumbent, to Ted Kennedy. Uh, and he certainly would have been the nominee in 1980 against Ronald Reagan, if not for the rules change that the Carter people pushed through. And so that changed history. And arguably, Ted Kennedy would have been a stronger candidate than Carter. So it, these things really do make a huge difference. Um, it's also symbolically a huge punch in the nose to uh, the Bernie Sanders progressive wing of the Democratic Party, because everybody remembers Jim Clyburn and what he did and how he brokered, uh, you know, the, the, the convention. He brokered the primaries, uh, you know, with Beto and Klobuchar and all those guys in Texas. Uh, and that came out of South Carolina. And, uh, you know, so it's kind of like 
you know, Bernie people are not happy about South Carolina. No, and they shouldn't be. I mean, all things being equal. I mean, the Biden administration, I strongly suspect that this is kind of running up the scoreboard. That's what it feels like. Meaning the person who we want to get the best chance of getting into the race itself. For example, if this if this change was implemented in the last election, Biden would have started off probably with South Carolina, which oh, means yeah. all of the talk about, oh, Biden is so weak in this race. Biden looks incompetent in this race. Biden is in a fourth, fifth plate. That would have that would have never happened. Never happened. Meaning he would have started off this race with a certain right. advantage just based on South Carolina being the number one, being the first yeah, state. And with the number them. of black they people love that. in the state. Yes. Because that's, that's the right key. there. Yeah, yeah, this is, the number this of black people is obviously state. done to help Biden because yes. they know that he is a weak candidate. They know that he's coming up, even though he hasn't officially announced. And by the way, not just Biden, any random any brain trust any of a Democratic Party. Any yeah. failed Democrat. Yeah. But, but <laughs> theoretically, in this case, it's going to be Biden. Right. I think because he, he did well in South mm-hmm. Carolina, not so well in um, the bigger union states, mm-hmm. which is ironic. He lost of the whole, Iowa. Yeah. I think he lost, lost New Hampshire. Hampshire. He lost right. Nevada. They could have gone, gone to Nevada. Was, big union, big union state as well. I think his first but, win was South Carolina. Was. But guess what? He's losing the union people now because of what he just did with the train strike. Yes. Really good point. What do you think, Ted? I agree with that analysis. Um, you know, I think the train thing, look, the problem with the train thing was not even that he kneecapped the unions. It's the fact that the unions knew it was coming. And it's kind of like that whole thing, like, oh, God, you know, this, this person really doesn't like me. You kind of need to surprise them and say, oh, OK, well, actually, they came, he came through for us. And it's like, no, it's like just as we expected. He pat code us. And, uh, and what do we what do they get? One paid sick day? One. One. Yep. Um, I mean, that's a joke. And it's a so I think. You know, all working people, including non-union members, look at that and they think, eh, you know, uh, yeah, um, Biden's, you know, if, if you're in Ohio where I grew up or Pennsylvania or Michigan, Illinois, you know, uh, it's like you're you're just not impressed by Biden. I, I, I still, by the way, just want to say I don't think he can be the not that he can run again. I just don't. Really? I'm, I'm somewhat skeptical. I don't know. I mean, I don't I've, I've seen some political else. analysis where they made the point of saying when the president is an incumbent and doesn't run, it makes it much better for, or much easier for the opposition party to basically yes, run against the president. In. Meaning the chances go down. Yeah. And so if he knows that, does, is he forced to run? I mean, and maybe he, maybe there's a chance that he, he does run because he's sadly their best chance. Yeah. Secures, let's say he secures the Oval Office and again. And steps down. And then steps down. What do you think or, about that? Or, or, or dies. Yeah. I, mean, the, I mean, I'm just, yeah, saying, he can't, I'm just saying he can't do it physically. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I he ran from his basement due to the pandemic. You know, he had the yes. pandemic to hide behind. He can't do that next time. Um, you know, I mean, I think he's just he's frail. Campaigning is hard work. It would you know, if for any of us, it would be extremely challenging physically. So, uh, you know, uh, th- there's a documentary. Uh, God, I'm trying to remember the name, but it's on HBO. It's fascinating. It's about the 1960 primary campaign, and you're, you're traveling along with, you know, young JFK in his car from primary to primary. It's black and white. It's amazing. Wow. And, and uh, it, you know, it's, and it's so anyway, I re- re- encourage people to seek it out. But you just see, oh, my God, this is tiring. I mean, you know, this is like the guy has to be on over or the woman has to be on over and over day after day, night after night. And it's not yeah. just the campaign appearances. It's all the, you know, the local politicians that you have to hobnob with in between. It's go, 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 go. Can Joe Biden do that? You know, I, no. I don't think so. I don't think he can do it now. I don't think. And well, so the interesting thing to me is that 
I think that the Democratic Party, they're stuck with what they got. I think it's that so too. You, if Joe Biden wants to run, realistically, if you let's, you know, I'm, I'm playing Democrat yeah. here. If I start, you know, uh, just rattling off every list of every Joe Biden accomplishment and talk about the midterms, the fact that the red wave never happened, uh-huh. that Joe Biden is the first president in X number of years to have this sort of success during the midterms. Oh, basically cycle. making an argument like, for Biden. Yeah. Like, how could you say then, mm, but you still shouldn't run and you beat Donald Trump. Unlike Hillary Clinton, you beat Donald Trump. I'm sure Joe Biden is telling himself, why wouldn't I run? I'm the guy that's holding back the night. And then on the other on the other hand of that, and I know people disagree with me I, when I say that Democrats lock themselves in. So if Joe Biden runs, I am waiting. I am looking forward to people telling Kamala Harris, "Not you, sister girl." Well, they still not you. Uh, his team anybody has, has told you. us his that he's running with Kamala. His, yeah, his team has told us that President Biden intends yeah. to run again, and Joe Biden has even said it. And and in one of the few times that he, he just hasn't hadn't formally announced it. right in the few times that he hasn't really fumbled his words. He, was he lucid. did say he yes, he was lucid. He <laughs> took his meds that day. Um he did he said, I forget who he was t- being interviewed by and he didn't fall asleep. Yeah. Um <laughs> he actually said, uh yes, that's his intention, but now's not the time to announce it because there are legal ramifications. So right. now I'm not doing that right now. And he said it. So Yeah, I mean, but the the intention intention is a weasel word right. in uh, <laughs> in, in politics, and uh, you know, so it's like I plan to do this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all intend to do lots of things, right? But uh, you know, but but are you actually going to do it? So, I mean, he has left himself the wig, the, the 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 wiggle room to not do it. Look, in terms of dumping Harris, uh, you know, Democrats have to be looking at 1972 and the Eagleton affair. Uh, you know, McGovern was already in trouble against Nixon. But dumping Eagleton and replacing him with Sergeant Shriver uh, as his running mate uh, just just completely drove a stake through his campaign. Uh, they can't dump Harris. Uh, it would it would destroy the coalition uh, with black voters. Um, it would be uh, just it, it would be viewed as a sign of weakness. If he runs again, he has to do it with Harris. He's stuck with her. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's stuck either way. Yeah, I agree with Malik on this one. No returns on that one. Nope. No exchange. Stuck with it. And all things been equal. Look, and I would imagine if your name is Harris, you're like, yes. If Biden gets in. He drops dead. Yes. (laughs) For sure. Because that's the only way she's ever going to become president. I'm sorry. I'm sure. That's true. Yeah. You know how angry Hillary Clinton would be if that happened? Oh, man. It's my turn. It was supposed to be Mike. She would be so angry. I mean, I don't know. The Hillary list. Oh, man. Uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> I would just say, come on, up on that list. Just saying. Ted, I wanted to get your take on the Twitter files, and I wanted to give you Corrine um, Jean-Pierre's her response, Biden's press secretary response to this. Twitter files comes out. Elon Musk releases all this information to Matt Taibbi, and it makes it very clear that Twitter had an argument over whether or not they were going to, basically, when they killed the story, there was a fight in the back end basically saying, look, how are we killing this story? How is this a legitimate thing to do? Then you had this realization also that the FBI was preempting this story coming out. This was um, um, Divine, the one from New York Post, basically reporting that they had preempted the story coming out by saying, hey, there is a story that's going to come out about hacking. It may involve Hunter Biden. It may come out in October. Just be aware. In which case, when the story comes out, Twitter kills the story, basically puts the account um, in jail, meaning New York Post account in jail. It's compl- astonishing stuff, especially when you can see behind the scenes what was taking place. 
I want to play you the response by Biden's press secretary. Let's play the clip. We see this as a, a an interesting or a coincidence, if I may, that uh, uh, that he would so haphazardly, uh, Twitter would so haphazardly push this distraction. Uh, that is a that is a full of uh, old news, if you think about it. Um, and uh, at the same time, Twitter is facing very real and very serious questions uh, about the rising volume of anger, hate, and anti-Semitism on their platform, and uh, how they're letting it happen. This is an we, we see this as, as an interesting, uh, you know, cons, uh, you know, coincidence, uh, and uh, we, and you know, it's a distraction. There's another weasel word. There's rising questions. There's questions that are being um, that, that that come up over this. And look, one of the other key points in that was that there was a clear bias towards Democrats, meaning Twitter was working with the political space. So if somebody came in and said, "Hey, could you get rid of that?" handled, and just so happened because you had more Democrats that were had associations with Twitter and some of these tech companies, then by definition, it ended up being far more Democrats that were able to scrub information that they didn't necessarily like off that website. Astonishing. Her response to that is, this is a distraction. And there's questions being raised about Elon Musk. And this goes into the line thing where they're saying they're now investigating um, Elon Musk. And even bringing up this idea of whether Elon Musk is a national security threat. All of this stuff is coming up just because a guy bought Twitter. Give me your take on this. Uh, you know, it is, <clears throat> it's, it's kind of amazing. Uh, my favorite detail of the Twitter files was that even mentions uh, bet- uh, on direct messaging, you know, on Twitter, sort of between uh, per- individual people right. uh, who did not post to Twitter, even those references to Hunter Biden's laptop in the New York Post story were blocked by Twitter, something that they normally reserved, according to Taibbi, for uh, child pornography, things that are really extreme. So uh, the fix was clearly in, you know, I mean, for me, it's sort of, I mean, this is sort of personal to me because of the LA Times kind of thing, but I'm always, I always think like, I don't think there should be any ties or connections or communications between top government officials or political parties and media companies or social media companies. In other words, I don't think the DNC should be able to get a call in to the, an executive at Twitter or the RNC should be able to. I don't think uh, the FBI should be able to know anybody at the New York Times uh, or if they call the New York Times, no one should return their call. Uh, it should just be there should be like what they call in on Wall Street, a Chinese wall, right? The separation uh, that preserves these media companies and uh, and you know social media is a media company. Uh, it should preserve their in, their editorial independence completely. And that's what's being exposed here is the fact that like, hey, if I see something that is concerning on Twitter or Facebook, there's no customer service like phone number or email I can contact in order to try to address it or get it removed. But, you know, if the head of the DNC decides to, uh, you know, get this legitimate news story about Hunter Biden taken down, they can. Um, The the, the, you know the the it's it's interesting that the press secretary sort of used the word distraction while she's trying to distract, <laughs> distract herself yeah. from the uh, you know fr- from from what's going on here. Uh, unfortunately, it's still one of those stories that is remains siloed. Right, the Washington Post said, uh, "Well, this doesn't really prove anything. It doesn't prove that the DNC ordered it to be taken out." Well, no one ever said that it was ordered. It was right. a request, and that that Twitter complied with. And shouldn't have complied with, um, you know. And so, to me, it's it's the fact that these connections happen at the highest levels, 
when I've talked to editors at major outlets like the New York Times, you know, they you know, they'll say, well, this is just the way the world works. And I guess the whole point is this is not the way the world should work. Right. Yeah. Ted, I got another soundbite uh, queued up that I want to I want to share and get your reaction on the other side, because it's a whole lot of just flat out lying to the American people. Fifty former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is has all the care Four, five former heads of the CIA. Both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. This is classic Trump. We have four days left and all of a sudden there's a laptop. There's overwhelming evidence that from the intelligence community that the Russians are engaged. I still think that the stories from the fall about your son Hunter were Russian disinformation at his fear campaign, like you said. Yes, yes, yes. It's the last-ditch effort in this desperate campaign to smear me and my family. The vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. The vast majority of the intelligence people? The RNC put this compilation together and so saved us a lot of trouble. Yes. Um, But the (laughs) RNC people did it. But literally, I mean, that's just a fraction of the times that Joe Biden lied to us and and and. Put trotted out the intelligence community, all the three-letter agencies, to say that they back him on this. And so now with Jim Baker, Jim Comey's, you know, main uh, counsel, getting uh, blasted off to outer space yesterday by Elon, and we find out that he was the one himself secretly vetting the files before they would be given to Matt Taibbi, unbeknownst to Elon Musk. I mean, this this goes to show it speaks to the level of collusion and planning by people who were government operatives. So whether or not Joe Biden was actually president at the time doesn't matter because the people that were in these three-letter agencies were government officials and they did act on it. Yeah, I I think it's a First Amendment case for that reason. In theory, if not in terms of, uh, you know, the ability to apply case law, I mean, it is literally a case of uh, government censorship of a media organization by proxy, uh, the, the media organization being the New York Post, whose who's, uh, Twitter feed was shut down for over two weeks. Um, you know, it's a major American newspaper. Uh, it's, it's kind of just uh, gobsmacking. Um, I just can't believe how many of my Democratic friends still refuse to believe this is true. Uh, the lies have been extremely effective. People believe what they want to believe. But, you know, again, the weasel words should have probably, uh, you know, alerted us, you know, the earmarks of Russian disinformation. Well, you know, what's an earmark? Uh, you know, and it's like, well, evidence, you know, evidence has a specific meaning. Where is your evidence? Do you have any code? Do you have anything that you can point to specifically? Over and over again, these things turn out to not be true. Um, and I think a lot of the 50 uh, people, signatories were retired, weren't they, um, to that letter. So they don't really kind of stand to lose any, you know, they don't really have anything to lose. They're just sitting in, in you know, <laughs> happy retirement in Bethesda or whatever. And, uh, that's and then that's just uh, it doesn't cost them anything. It's like, hey, would you mind signing this? But it was just, you know, it, it was so partisan. Um, look, I say good on Musk for having done this. Um, it's I agree with him that transparency is uh, is great and that this this needed to happen. But 
it's only really going to catch on and really burn Biden uh, once the congressional uh, investigations ramp up next year, which I think they will. And I do think that they will really imperil the Biden presidency. There is definitely a chance he'll be forced to resign if they pursue this all the way. Well, they're definitely going to do the investigations. I'm assuming one of the people that they're going to call, and Manila mentioned his name, and I've been talking about him since Monday, Jim Baker. Keep in mind, when the Clinton campaign, her lawyer, Michael Sussman, wanted to plant the bizarre claim that the secret communication channel between Trump campaign and the Kremlin, he took that to Jim Baker. So Michael Sussman was that, Jim Baker was the He was the conduit. He was the conduit for that. And you know that Jim Baker was ultimately forced out because he was, he actually ended up under investigation himself. Yeah, Jim Baker ended up under investigation himself. So he was forced out and he ended up, after being the general counsel to Jim Comey, he ended up being now, well, what he just was until Elon Musk fired him, the counsel over at Twitter, who was under, what's, you know, I'm going to get her name. Gade. Vajaya Gade. Her number two. So when people try to poo-poo over this and claim that it was really nothing, yes, that while they may not be able to find a direct government connection, what you said, Ted, and what people continue to say is that this was happening at the highest level of government. And those 50 people, you're right, many of whom were retired, but it doesn't matter because we had John on the show yesterday to talk about just how much heft having former intelligence officials co-sign this as Russian disinformation. Guys, not to mention the level of influence. When you have the former DNI clapper and all his underlings that, you know, were basically that were that were raised on the clapper school of thought, right? Yeah. You don't think he can pick up the phone and say, Called. hey, of kiddo, kiddo XYZ. You worked under me for X amount of years. Call up Silicon Valley. Make this happen. Yes, influence. They were it's clear it. influence. It's clear influence peddling. And right here, I mean, this was Miranda Devine's piece. She says, we know that the FBI uh, supervisory special agent Elvis Chan testified Tuesday in a lawsuit against the Biden administration brought by Republican attorneys that he organized weekly meetings with Twitter and Facebook in San Francisco for as many as seven Washington-based FBI agents in the run-up to the 2020 presidential and election. And those people are officials at the yeah. agency yeah, who they are, are working, not retired. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's like rare. It's as Twitter's collusion. Then head of site integrity, Yoel Roth, has stated in sworn declaration that he was told during those meetings to expect a hack and leak operation by state actors involving Hunter Biden. Twitter cited this new hack policy or materials policy October 14th when it locked the post accounts for two weeks and censored the story revealing the Hunter Biden's Ukrainian benefactor thanking him for the meeting with his father. Yeah. I mean, meaning those meetings were taking place in order to give these guys a heads up of something's coming down the pike. It is hacked information. It's from the Russians. May take place in October. Just be aware. Right. Heads up. Heads up. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we got rid of it, but there was no government interplay between those things. Right. Whatever. Whatever. That's, that's the plausible deniability, isn't it, Ted, to say, well, these guys are retired, so there's no direct government pressure on the First Amendment. But th- the whole issue here is talking about influence. This is what the whole Donald Trump stuff was you know, ginned up over was the Russian influence on Trump, the Russia, Russia, Russia. And, you know, this was kind of, you know, this works, uh, I guess, two birds and one stone here by, you know, not only uh, protecting Biden, but you also get to malign Russia again. Yeah. And undercut Trump. 
the thing about the retired aspect of it, though, I think you know that should have uh, you know raised alarms among media outlets. Obviously, they were predisposed to uh, you know publicizing this letter and just sort of going with it. But you know, I mean, the retired uh, intel- members of the intelligence community had no access to the Hunter Biden data any more than you or I do, right? Like we're like anybody. There's just guys. And you know, sitting at home and and the, and and watching CNN, and so like their opinion was literally baseless. Uh, you know, you would think that you know, in a world where journalism still had any standards, uh, people, you know, some editor at the Washington Post would say, "But wait, they don't. They're just talking. They don't. They, you know, they have old titles, but they don't have any specific information about the contents of this laptop." Yeah, and yet. Nevertheless, they use that as a way of giving heft to Biden's claims on this. And and then you have the media, the world that we're in, attacking Matt Taibbi for using direct source information like this. (laughs) I just can't make this up. Yeah, no, it's 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 great. I mean, I know Matt Taibbi and he's a very serious, very smart guy with a lot of integrity and he follows the truth wherever it leads which causes people to not like him, uh, which is, you know, what journalists do, good ones. Uh, there just aren't very many of them left, unfortunately. Yeah. And so why do you think he did this, by the way? Why do you think Musk did this? I know Taibbi reached out to him and basically said, OK, here brilliant. you go. Yeah, Brilliant but, on Matt's part. Think, I mean, because I guess nobody came to the Nobody group, thought of it. Yeah, nobody like, thought of saying, hey, I wonder if I just ask him for this. I'm just going to ask him. Yeah. And he says, <laughs> OK, here you are. But I guess, why did Elon Musk, why do you think Elon Musk did this? I mean, because to your point, Ted, this is going to feature prominent in the next election, I suspect. I mean, when I have a hard time believing Trump is not going to bring this up. He may not necessarily be bringing it up now. At some point, this has to come up. Um, Why do you think he must release this? Do you think this is his response to a lot of the pressure that he's been taking from liberals that have been basically going after him because he wanted to change Twitter into more of a free speech platform? Is it that? You guys are attacking me. Fair enough. I'll give you something to to attack me about. You know, maybe, but I don't really think that's it. I think this is actually, there's a much simpler explanation here. You know, he owns this company all by his lonesome. Well, him and and the banks that he borrowed from. (laughs) Right. He is, uh, and I think he's just genuinely uh, felt before he bought Twitter that this was one of the many mistakes that Twitter had done in the pre-Musk regime. And, you know, when he had the opportunity to blow it up, he thought, yeah, I'm going to blow this up. Uh, you know, I, I think what he said is true when he when he released the information that, uh, you know, it, that transparency was going to uh, show that uh, that his version of Twitter was going to be more trustworthy uh, than the old version. Um, so I think it literally comes down to his honest, heartfelt opinion that this is not the way that that company should have behaved. No, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a fair point. He wanted and he, to wash his hands maybe and start clean, Yeah, I and, guess. And he even said himself, he was like, the idea that we've been helping these candidates out is absurd. I, I'm paraphrasing, but his thing was like, this is deplorable. Before we run out of time, I want to put in this little tidbit of breaking news, Ted, and I want your response because this is serious stuff. This is involving Ukraine. So breaking news, Time Magazine just announced their person of the year. Volodymyr Zelensky. So he gets two awards. Number one Jew. Greatest Jew ever. Number one Jew of the year. And I mean, that's a real award, Ted. I'm not being yeah. you know, fictitious. Or, that's real. Or, that's a real. Yeah. Some I forget which which publication, uh, a Jewish publication, but they picked him as the number one Jew in the world this year. 
Uh, Tony Blinken appeared as like number five. And now he's Time Magazine's person of the year. What do you think of that? You know, I, if I were Ukrainian <laughs> sitting under, uh, trying to keep warm this winter, I might use my copy of Time Magazine to uh, <laughs> to keep myself a little warm. Um, you know, it is, it, yeah, that's, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's just part of the ongoing, it's like the, you know, it's like the Vogue spread. Oh my yeah. God. Uh, uh, you know, it's like Zelensky porn. It, it's very uh, ill-timed. I was literally just reading yesterday that um, that that like the his his approval rating and and support U.S. support voters support for arming Ukraine is uh, you know diminishing substantially. Uh, you know, it just it Time Magazine often sort of uh, you know issue does things that it should have done topically you know six to twelve months earlier. This seems like one of those. Uh, just barf. It's just a lot of barf. Like you said, it is Zelensky porn. Yeah, and and the media is still trying to keep him a thing. I still say Russians should do airdrops. Well, he's, a, he's a, I mean, the dude's a charlatan. I mean, you know, I have oh, friends yeah. who are like, he's an actor. He's just an actor. And, uh, you know, he's, he, he, he led his country to disaster. Yes, he did. Uh, you know, I mean, just, you know, literally just like, look, you just should have shut up about NATO. You know, like, look at a map. Look at where you live. Don't try. Don't talk about joining NATO. And can I say this before we go? One of the things you asked about Elon Musk, what to expect. What I'm hoping after this is that at least now there's an evaluation of how the closeness of the tech industry is to our government in the political space. And the repercussions of that closeness. I mean, because he was clearly biasing one side in in this um, stuff. But Ted, thank you, my man. Appreciate, always appreciate you joining us. Easily one of my favorite guests. We got to add a walking encyclopedia to and his bio. I swear. I mean, it's like 1972. So it's like, like wow, I'm always impressed by that. Who is that? Um, Ted Rawl is a political cartoonist and syndicated columnist. And again, walking encyclopedia in the way that Manila said, man is amazing. You can follow Ted on Twitter at Ted Rawl and read his cartoons and articles at Rawl.com. We've come to the end of this particular hour. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Jamal Thomas, Manila Chan, Malik Abdul. Back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. Comfortably on the right, your favorite conservative cousin, Malik Abdul, and you are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. Always enjoy talking to Ted. Always enjoy talking to him. Always easy conversations with him. He knows his stuff. Like you say, he's a walking encyclopedia. In 89 BC. I yeah. Know. Like, what? He could do it in a heartbeat. We're like, what candidate for VP? Who? Yeah, it was like, was there. And it was, and it was like, well, they hadn't created language yet in that time period. I mean, the man Look, knows his stuff Ted, like nobody's business. Ted is the guy that you want on your bar trivia team. Yes, or your Jeopardy team. He's the guy that you call for a thing. I have a contact. Lifeline. I want to call for a lifeline. Yeah. Get the lifeline. Yeah. Who are you like, calling? My friend Ted Rawl in like, New York. Ted, in 1436. <laughs> <laughs> what was the guy that was like, oh yeah, that was so and so. The guy knows his stuff. 
it's knows his stuff. Weird. He's so I, good. I wish I had that kind of memory. I can't remember 9-11. I mean, I remember 9-11 and yeah. the events that happened. I happened to be awake right. that morning. I woke up to use the bathroom, could fall back asleep, turn on the TV, and I'm flipping every channel going, what is this terrible B movie that everybody's playing on yeah. every channel? I didn't know what About, it was. You know, I was... Like, I was in bed at the time. That's I woke all up. I remember. Because I was in school. I was still in um, college yeah, at the time. Yeah, I was time. in college too. And I remember looking at TV and I was like, okay, what is this? It was like rubble right. or something like that. I couldn't really place it. It was, you know. I couldn't make sense of it because it was so early yeah. in California. Right. So I was thinking, what? what is this? Oh, that's right. Because it was like 6 o'clock. It was it like, yeah, been 5 like 6 a.m. Early. Yeah. yeah 5, yeah, yeah, 4 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for me. Yeah. And I was trying to go back to bed, couldn't, and I turned on the TV, and that's what I saw. And I'm thinking, what is this terrible movie with yeah. the Twin Towers and a plane went through, uh, something went through it, a bomb? Like, what? what is this? I I have patchy memory. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, someone I knew at the time was in med school out mm-hmm. there. And um, that was where my worry went it because I knew went. people. Yeah. yeah, I knew people that were right there. Mm-hmm. So I have very patchy memories of that. Well, I remember I Bush you, on the rubble. I remember that, I remember that, that part. For me, it was absolutely clear because once we got the first, we got the first indication that they hit the, the uh, email went around that there was an attack of, you know, airplanes that they suspect hit World Trade Center. Yeah. Right. At that point, they there was a plane, the Pennsylvania plane, right. oh, yeah. that they thought was, was going the way yeah. to D.C. The one that got diverted. To the White House. Right. Because one hit the Pentagon. One yeah. hit the Pentagon, and yeah. then they thought that it was hitting the White House. And so we were sitting there in our vice president's office, which overlooks um, the Lafayette Park across right, from the, the White House. the executive office. Yeah. And we left at the chamber once we began seeing people run mm-hmm. from the White House. Wow. By the time we had walked outside, and I kid you not, it was like Arma get it. Yeah. Really? I've never seen there were thousands of people wandering aimlessly. And keep in mind, this is before cell, you right. know, um, before text you know, messaging and all yeah. that. So. Before all of that. So cell service was down. Transit service was down. Really? You wow. could not, there were people walking home to Roslyn and uptown because you couldn't get around. Yeah. Like wow. it was, it because they knew right. they assumed an like attack is coming. Ago. Yes. Yeah. It feels like a lifetime ago, but if you were there, which is my my perspective is so visceral. It's, it's yeah. 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 You, you were there. I saw it. Yeah. And you see military Humvees all outside. It looked like a military. Op- yes, because we're around the White House. Yeah. So you saw military. I mean, all and from their perspective, a plane is well, coming to the White House. If the listeners are wondering why we're talking yes. about 9-11 <laughs> is because prior to 9-11, today's the anniversary of Pearl Harbor Day. Yes. Of Pearl Harbor, rather, of 1941, which we'll get to in this day in history. However, that, you know, prior to 9-11, that was the the big thing yeah. on U.S. soil. On. Right. Right. Yeah. So it was Pearl Harbor. So, but I don't know. I It's what, 60, 1941? I'm bad at math. So... <laughs> <laughs> More than 60 years ago. So the people, 60, 80 years ago? It's like 80 years 80-ish? ago. 80-ish? Yeah, 60 yeah, so yeah, plus 20. Yeah. I would say there are very few people still alive that would remember Pearl, Pearl Harbor. Harbor. Mm-hmm. And so for our age group, That's 9-11 ours. is yeah. our Pearl Harbor. Yeah. And we'll remember, you know, where we were, when mm-hmm. it happened, what happened, how we learned of the news. Before Twitter, before Be- social media. Right, before yeah. social media, before smartphones. And Al Gore's smartphones. internet had just been created. <laughs> exactly. Al Gore right, just right. got the internet going. People were, were blogging. You know, there was an innocent time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's why we are talking about 9-11 is because that's this generation's Pearl Harbor. Right. And it's Manila's birthday. And she said and she was on some level glad that it wasn't on her 
perfect. Basically, but it just, yeah, it stole the thunder away from right. from Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor Day. So, you know, then I didn't have to be the one Asian kid in school that was ostracized <laughs> for being like, wait a minute. Because kid logic, right? Yeah. You know, the one Asian kid in school and everyone's like, wait a minute, Manila's birthday is December 7th. Pearl Harbor Day is December 7th. Let's all look at her. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kid logic. What are you going to do? All right, let's start over with some domestic news over in Georgia. They have a brand new minted senator. After a tight runoff election that happened last night, Senator Raphael Warnock fended off a challenge from Republican Herschel Walker to win a, finally his own full six-year term that broadens the Democratic majority in the Senate after a turbulent runoff campaign that sharpened partisan divides in one of the most hotly politically debated races uh, this cycle. So Raphael Warnock beats Herschel Walker, but just barely, just barely. Uh, Then Elon Musk firing Twitter lawyer Jim Baker, who was involved in censoring Hunter Biden's laptop, former Twitter attorney Baker also involved in the FBI's role on Russiagate. Journalist Matt Taibbi published internal communications over the weekend that took place among Twitter's top executives back in 2020 about how to deal with the New York Post publication of the laptop from hell. Then House and Senate lawmakers unveiled plans for a compromise defense authorization bill which would boost the military budget by over 8%. Not that they need any more. Uh, It's the biggest budget in the world many times over. Uh, For fiscal year 20, from over fiscal 2022 levels and rescinding the military's COVID-19 vaccine mandate for uh, service members, the $858 billion plan also includes a 4.6% pay raise for troops starting next month and nearly $19 billion in extra funding to deal with extra inflation costs on construction, fuel prices, and other military purchases. So maybe they won't be telling the troops to sign up for food stamps. That is a real story. That is not Manila snark. That's a real story. The U.S. government told our troops... If you can't keep up with the rate of inflation, just sign up for food stamps. All right, House Democrats have also blocked a Republican amendment that would have strengthened religious liberty protections in the Respect for Marriage Act, a bipartisan bill that would require the federal government to recognize all marriages, including same-sex marriages that are legal in the state where they took place. Then... Vaping company Juul settles over 5,000 vaping lawsuits. The settlement amount, however, not disclosed. While financial terms of the settlement uh, were not shared, the company says it has received an extra investment to cover whatever it is they're paying out. And that they say their intention was never to target young customers and they hope to regain consumer trust. Over to international news starting today, throughout the rest of the week. Chinese President Xi Jinping in Saudi Arabia, she was invited by Saudi King Salman, that's dad, King Salman, uh, whose full name is actually King Salman bin Abdul Aziz Al Saud. So she and King Salman are scheduled to hold a Saudi-Chinese summit that will also 
be attended by the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, MBS. The meeting will focus on developing a strategic partnership between the two countries, given their mutual recent tensions with the United States. And staying with the Chinese, their government is apparently loosening the zero COVID policies amid ongoing protests there. The changes do not dismantle the policy, but moves away from at least the digital passes and those who are infected can be quarantined at home instead of getting locked away uh, in whole blocks or, you know, making in these makeshift hospitals, these what they were called COVID camps. Uh, the adjustment to zero COVID policies just started uh, a couple weeks ago. And then in Germany, officials arrested dozens of members of this so-called Reich citizens movement on suspicion of plotting to overthrow the German government. Many of those detained had military training and were believed to belong to a recently formed group just formed in November, allegedly, November of last year, so um, about a year old. The group operated on the belief that the country was ruled by a deep state. Uh, So this is uh, very parallel to what we're seeing here in the U.S. with the J6 committee, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, and all of that. Uh, So this is pretty much in lockstep uh, what the German government is doing to the Reich citizens. Uh, So we'll see if more information about this group is made available. Then the House and Senate Armed Services Committee reached an agreement on the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, for fiscal year 2023, with committee leadership agreeing to act to an act that would exclude Russian government officials from the G20 and other international institutions, according to a document release. However, according to the Russian foreign minister, the attempt to isolate Russia will fail, saying that the majority of other nations won't support those attempts made by the U.S. So Sergei Lavrov uh, clapping back. Economics news. U.S. trade deficit widens as slowing global demand pushes goods and the exports to a seven-month low, suggesting that trade could be a drag on economic growth this quarter if this trend persists. The report from the U.S. Department of Commerce followed on the heels of recent upbeat news on the economy from Joe Biden, (laughs) ranging from consumer spending, the labor market, and so forth. Uh, So they're saying these guys are basically uh, being contrarian to what uh, Karine Jean-Pierre has espoused during her daily press briefings. All right, this, I guess we'll call it funny news. We mentioned it at the end of the last hour with Ted Rawl. Time Magazine has just announced their person of the year. Person of the year for 2022. Everybody's favorite crowd pleaser, Volodymyr Zelensky. He was selected as man of the year. Uh, the finalist list also including Elon Musk and Ron DeSantis. But Zelensky beat out those guys. Hauling choice. Yes. Yeah, Ron DeSantis Ron on that I, list. Well, I guess in their I, heads, he's going to hold back Trump. So, you know. <laughs> right. So they're like, let's let's at least give him a shout out. Yeah, let's, let's give him a shout out for Ron that. a shout out. But Zelensky, but look, Zelensky, I mean, you lose 30 percent. You lose 20 percent of your territory. You get hundreds of thousands of your people killed. Your energy yeah. grid is basically on the brink of collapse. Your economy is completely collapsed. And they're giving this guy Time Magazine Person of the Year as if 
none of the stuff was his fault. All right. of the stuff was his fault. Right. I mean, regardless of what the U.S. wanted, it's secondary to the point that you are the person who's responsible for that country and for your countrymen. He ran his country headfirst yes. into a deliberate war, a yes. deliberate and avoidable yes. confrontation. You put your people in a wood chip. Let's be very so clear. Let's, so the yeah. idea that they're like, yeah, great job, Zelensky. Yeah. Great, great job with a what? Joke. Time great job with a what? Person of the year, too? I think he was at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Time Magazine so that, is just there you a go. joke. Yeah. They've been publishing Person of the Year since 1927, and magazine sales for Time Magazine and all others yeah. um, have tanked. Mm-hmm. Tank, nobody takes this seriously anymore. So, but whatever. It's still a thing. It's an American institution that's yes, it is. You know, on life support. Uh, but yeah, Vladimir Zelensky, Man of the Year. Uh, and then this day in history, as we were talking about at the top of the hour on this day in history, December 7th, 1941, the day that will live in infamy, not because I was born, because Pearl Harbor was attacked by Japanese bombers as uh, much of the naval base slept. And that ushered in the American entry officially into World War II. Uh, that will do it for your headlines this Wednesday, December the 7th. You are listening to Fault Lines. People always ask this question, why did Hitler declare war in the United States? Because, meaning, FDR was helping um, the UK with the Lend-Lease program, but all things being equal, we weren't combating from the standpoint of Germany. Hitler comes out, we declare war in the United States. And it was super weird. But the reasoning, I think, has a lot to do with this idea that we were being, we were arming them anyway. Meaning, from their perspective, we're still a participant in the conflict, even if we're not directly involved in a conflict, because you're basically arming the, you know, Britain and Russia at that point. Um, or the Soviet Wait, Union. Can I mention something very quickly for the nine o'clock hour for those mm-hmm. who are just tuning in and didn't hear our previous two hours? Manila tried to get away from it, but we will not allow her to get away from acknowledging that today is her birthday. Yeah, she, you so, heard her. She birthday. put that in just a tiny oh, oh, bit and then out. moved oh, away yeah. from it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> else. Wished her. When, okay, once, I mean, I hit 40. It didn't during, matter Right, it didn't. <laughs> yeah. it, so that was like a big deal, but it was COVID, right? So it's just not, you know, like after, I would say after your 21st birthday and your 30th birthday where you're like, I'm an adult. Yeah. And 30, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm adult. 30. And then after that, you stop celebrating, I, at least for me, in my opinion, you're like, well, what's 31? What's 35? Yeah. What, okay, 40, that's a big birthday. Then you start celebrating, not annually, it becomes every 10 years. Like every decade. Right. Yeah. It's, every, it's a decades, right? So the next big birthday, I would say would be 50. 50. So every like, year. And you're mid-40s? Like, eh, like who? I don't know, man. Every year is the year that you're here. No, I'm grateful. Yeah. But having a party or, you know, doing stuff like that, I'm just not, I'm like, eh, I'll celebrate. I'll have a big party maybe at like 50. Yeah. I know a lot of people take the day off that day and do something, even if they don't necessarily have the full-blown party. But Yeah, I'm not a very, like, you know, holiday, festive person. Yeah. I'm just. Eh, it's another day. I'm grateful to have a job. I'm grateful to have a roof. You know, every yeah. every day I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And and you know, I live a very abundant life of of I'm 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 very grateful. Let's just say I look at my beautiful family every day. Grateful for health. I don't use my birthday to be like I'm anything special. It's not my special day. It's not. If anything, I need to be thanking my mama. <laughs> so if thank anything, you for getting she mom, get the no, presents. Thank you for getting knocked up, mama. Thank you for bringing uh, be, me be, here. Be, being part of this. Thank you for undergoing like 30 hours of labor because I was a pain in the ass before she I She went through 30 yeah. hours of labor? Look, she's a, she, back then she was a little, little tiny little Asian lady, right? She's barely over five feet tall and she was probably like 90 pounds. Yeah. And I was almost a nine pound baby. 
So do the math. 10% of her weight was you? So do the math. So if anything, I got to say, thank you, mom. Push. You managed to get me out. Push. 30 (laughs) hours of push. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's more like, Thanks, mom. Every year, it's like you know what. <laughs> Good Thanks out, for mom. going through that. Thanks for going through that because happy birthday, I'm here. Manila. Absolutely, happy birthday. Fault lines to Manila Chan. Happy birthday. Well, look, let's do this. Let's take a break. You guys are listening to Fault Lines, Thomas Chan Abdul. Back in a moment with Mark Sloboda. Fault lines. Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan and Malik Abdul coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what we're putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and a course. You can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make the show what it is. Don't be shy. We'll try to get to you at 945. But I want to bring in our guests. We're joined with Mark Sloboda. Mark Sloboda is an international relations and security analyst. Mark, welcome to the show, my man. How are you doing today? Jamal, Manila, Malik, thanks for having me. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be on Fault Lines. Birthdays are just another year closer to inevitable oblivion. That's right. <laughs> Very fatalistic, and I agree. <laughs> that is so morbid. Fair enough. That is so morbid. Um, Mark, I want to get into some attacks that took place. Oh, you're not going to talk about the man of the year? With- oh, so let's go. Oh, yeah, go for it. Let's start there. Man of Times Man of the Year. Thank you, Manila. Times Man of the Year. Zelensky. Zelensky. And we were kind of talking about this before we brought you on, making this point of saying... How is this guy getting time of the year? You get hundreds, uh, like 100,000 people of your people killed. You lose 20% of the territory. Your energy system is on the brink of collapse. Your economy is on the brink of collapse. You're begging for weapons while doing photo shoots. And it's like, but but yeah, that guy, that guy, that comedian is going to get man of the year. Give me your take on that. Uh, uh, that's amazing to me, even though it's not amazing yeah. at all, considering it's the West. Yeah, excuse me, guys. I'm really suddenly my stomach is feeling extremely <laughs> upset. I'm nauseous. I think I'm gonna run to the bathroom and hurl. Yeah, total hurl. I I don't see how you don't understand uh, that all of his accomplishments. Think of all the Russians and the pro-Russian East Ukrainians he has killed, and it hasn't cost uh, a single U.S. military life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What's what's not the what's not to love? It's a it's a it's a bargain basement price. I mean, that's what what's the name? The Crenshaw, the one with the eye patch Dan in Crenshaw. Congress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dan he Crenshaw. made that argument. Basically, it was like, look, man, we didn't lose any American lives. We've been able to go after the uh, go after Moscow, and all his calls was all these Ukrainian lives and a few billion dollars. No American boots on the ground. Yeah, we were able to accomplish our objectives in that sense. So, I mean, I I. I Frankly, I mean, time person of the year is not enough. I think he deserves a Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, boy. Look, at, look at the other people who have gotten it. It's I coming. Mean, you know? Obama got it before he even got in office. <laughs> they didn't open up drone thing. wars. Yeah. So, yeah, it's coming. Did I, you hear the New York Times in describing the Time magazine of the year, um, describing Zelensky, even his look? 
combat boots, khaki pants, oh, a green kidding. t-shirt, and a trim beard has oh. become a trademark bolstering his image as a citizen so, soldier. So he's sexy is basically what they're implying? Wow. Just wow. They're trying to recast him as an anti-Che Guevara. Oh. That's that's what I see. Like he's like he is the imperialist Che Guevara. I oh. still say Russia needs to pick up those photo shoots and drop them on the front lines. Let let the Ukrainian troops see what Zelensky is out there doing. Yeah, sixty five year old conscripts. Yeah, when they're sitting there eating a potato and they can look at Zelensky's beautiful photo shoot with his beautiful wife. Make love to the camera, Zelensky. See, I I think Time Magazine should do a reel of his best uh, comedic hits before <laughs> oh. he ran for president. What plan is um, piano with his penis? His, playing the piano with his penis. Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> wait, what? What? Wait, wait. For people that don't know, Mark, explain. Mark, explain that. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, Zelensky was a comedian before he became president, right? Actually, he made most of his money in Russia. Um, And, and, in fact, in 2013, he did uh, one of the Russian national um, New Year's Eve uh, TV shows, right? They they have, like, a a variety shows that are are really awful, to be frank. (laughs) Um, It's called Estrada. Um, you know, it's like, you know, all the celebrities come and they sit around and they, 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 they have some new year's skits and music performances. It's really awful. Zelensky did that, but I mean, he's, his, uh, comedy company, Quartal 95, you know, he was famous for kind of, I guess it would be a Ukrainian version of Mr. Bean mockery and slapstick, something like that. I mean. And um, one of the skits in, involved him and one other gentleman pulling down their plants, pants and, and playing like a kid's piano with, with their, um, their male member. Oh. And, uh, you know, there were numerous skits of him dressed as, as a transvestite. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Right. I was thinking the same thing, like Hunter Biden, where Hunter Biden was measuring the number of M&Ms on his penis and stuff like that. You don't remember that? He also did a skit mocking Crimeans for the Kiev regime building a dam to cut off the flow of water to the Crimea. That's gross. That was, that was, that was pretty sweet, you know, being a crime against humanity and all oh. and collective punishment of the Crimean people for accusing wrong. But yeah, he had, he, he played one of them who saw a glass of water and, and regarded it as, you know, something that he, he couldn't even imagine. And yeah, it was, oh. it was pretty, pretty nasty. Well, that is nasty. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, if you wonder why this guy is having problems winning back the hearts and minds of Crimeans and other East Ukrainians. I mean, just take a look at what he thought was comedy. But they didn't think it was impressive that he could play it without his hands. <laughs> I'm sorry. I that that, you know, I I'm not going to comment on. <laughs> I'm, I'm just right. going to say because I'm I'm a mom of a 4-year-old. Yeah. Um and and as a woman, I'm not sure I'd be impressed if he's playing a ki- little kitty piano or a keyboard because those things are not that big. But if it was a big one, you'd be impressed. Maybe you'd be I'd like, be okay, impressed. Fair. look, I was impressed with Hunter Biden being able to measure um, that play, many M&Ms on his baby grand. Penis. Yeah, play right. I know. Baby grand, but dun, dun, you're dun. playing on a little kids, you know, like peanuts. Um, you know, Charlie Brown little piano. So not impressive to you? Not very impressive. I think it was it, it maybe kitty isn't quite the word. It was more like like one of these little keyboards. That uh, like like amateur wedding performers <laughs> might play on, right? You know, like like from the eighties. I hadn't seen Look, that. I put it this way: it would have been better off for Ukraine if he just started a career doing handless piano playing. Oh. Personally, 
much it better It would have been better for Ukraine. Yes, much that, better off. I think that is no argument. <laughs> Mark, I want to get into the stories, though. So there was a attack, a Soviet, I think they call it a Soviet-made jet plane or jet drone, something to that effect. They basically hit two military bases. Well, it didn't hit them. Apparently, Russia said they were shot down and the, some of the debris hit the bases themselves. Explain that story to us. I, I, was, uh, I was enamored by that. I mean, all things being equal, these things had to fly through Russian airspace for a period of time before it ever even got to those bases in the first place. How did they yeah. go that far? Explain the story to us. And I kind of want to know, how did they get that far through air defense in the country itself? Yeah, so the, the Kiev regime has, has become very good at, you want to you call it, psy-op warfare stunts that have very little military value but are capable of dominating headline and, and head space, right? Because, you know, that's, that's really what it's about. And this is another such stunt. So there is a, a model of old Soviet reconnaissance drone. We're talking from 1970s, right? Um, it's uh, the 2141. It doesn't look anything like a modern drone, right? It looks... It, it 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 is called a jet drone. Uh, it it looks like something you might see out of Flash Gordon. I'll put it that way. It looks like like some kind of alternate history tech, something something like that. And these things were in mothballs in museums, right? Maybe collectors. And they had evidently completely refurbished it. They must have had some more modern guidance controls. And they basically uh, used it as a poor man's cruise missile. Uh, not very accurate, not incredibly destructive, but uh, able to travel significant distances. And um, they've actually used them before. It, it, early on in the conflict, I believe it was about a March, there was one of these drones, and it's not really known publicly, at least, what happened. Uh, maybe it completely went off, uh, you know, misfired, went completely wrong. But it hurled out of Ukraine into Europe and penetrated NATO airspace through several countries wow. and crashed in Croatia. And that was one of these. So obviously that, that was maybe an early attempt at that. And then a couple months ago, there was uh, two of them uh, that were shot down over Kursk as well. And this is the third attempt, and it was somewhat more successful. They targeted two uh, strategic airfields where Russia keeps their nuclear-capable strategic bombers, right. uh, one in Ryazan and one in Angle. Um, and that was like 500 and 700 kilometers from a presumed launch point like Kharkov, which is closest to Russia. Um, it, it Pretty significant distances. Now, uh, the one at the airfield, it, it's not clear whether it was shot down or this was what it hit, but it hit a fuel storage tank. Okay. okay, Russia's got plenty of fuel, no big deal. At the other base, it damaged a bomber. Uh, it da there's pictures of it. It damaged the tail section. Now, the, according to the Russian military, it was actually engaged kind of last minute detected by short-range air defense and brought down, but the shrapnel and the debris crashing not only in, it damaged that, that the tail of that bomber, but also uh, killed uh, something like somewhere between three, I think there were three Russian servicemen killed, six injured, something of the sort. So some, some light casualties. So, 
But I mean, it's the headlines even in uh, the West says, oh, enormous psychological damage. And they're not wrong because what is right in between 500 and 700 kilometers is Moscow at 600 kilometers, right? Showing clearly that they theoretically have the possibility of, of hitting Moscow, which, you know, shows that they're, they're hitting back. So it, no military value really, but in, in, in enormous, uh, psyops, psychological warfare value. Um, now the Ukraine only when it got independent, it only had, uh, in 1991, when the Soviet union dissolved itself, it only had a total of 150 of these. And I seriously doubt that anything close to 150 of them are capable of being refurbished and put into the air. So they're going to have a very limited number of these, this stunt cheap cruise missiles. But what I found really interesting uh, was the U.S. leak to the press, obvious messaging to Russia on the same day. I mean, like, like boom, uh, that this happened. They leaked to the to the U.S. press that they had modified yes. I was the, going to the HIMARS yeah. delivered to Ukraine so that they could not fire any long-range missiles like the Attackums. So uh-huh. there's been a lot of discussion. Give Kiev the Attackums. Give Kiev the Attackums. So they can hit behind Russian lines. And right away, the U.S. is obviously trying to distance itself from this. Yes. Now, obviously, Ukraine couldn't do this alone because they needed the satellite info to find uh, to get a, a view of these bombers, target, find where they're vulnerable and launch them. And they would have flied at very low altitude. Um, and they're hard to detect. Right. If one of them penetrated NATO airspace to Croatia, it's really not a surprise that it got to a Russian air base and was shot down last minute. No, that's fair. Uh, so, but obviously the U.S. is trying to say, oh, oh, we didn't have anything to do with it, and we're not giving them long-range strike capability. Pinky swear. Um, that's what I saw it as. Yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're right, because uh, overnight, for at least overnight for us, Secretary of State Antony Blinken talking to the BBC specifically said, quote, Washington has neither encouraged nor enabled yeah. Ukraine to strike targets inside Russia. So I I don't know, because this, I mean. Do you think there's a conflict going on in the administration in regards to, OK, maybe we should supply these things versus not? Yeah, there's quite obvious. I mean, we know that the, the Department of State is the Department of War and the Department of Defense is the Department of Military Realism. And and that they have been considerably more peaceable than Antony Blinken's State Department. So I have I have no doubt that there are arguments within the administration about exactly what capabilities to to provide uh, to the Kiev regime. That that is more than reasonable assumption. I mean, he went on to say some more ridiculous things, like you know, talking to BBC, saying, you know, that. Blinken accused Russia of trying, quote, trying to take out the civilian infrastructure that's allowing people to have heat, to have water, to have electricity. And then he said Moscow was weaponizing winter. <laughs> when the U.S. attacked the electrical infrastructure of Iraq, of Serbia, of Libya, uh, Korea, Vietnam, I mean, this, this, it's different when we do it, right? I mean... It's always different when we do it. That's that's well, American exceptionalism. We're 
Awesome. I I did a I did a uh, piece on my own channel uh, in the last week about this, and the Department of Defense Law of War manual clearly specifies that uh, electrical infrastructure, you know, dual use infrastructure like electrical infrastructure, specifically including that, is a legitimate target according to the U.S. Defense Department. So. I, I, once again, obviously, entity Blinken conflicts with them, at least on the issue of Ukraine. Or even satellites, right? I mean, the civilian satellites that are basically being used. And Russia kind of pointed out, like, look, this is dual use. You guys are using this in order to um, further your military objectives on this. I would be shooting them down like like Southern guy outside drinking on New Year's. <laughs> <laughs> like, bang, just got another one. Um, Mark, I want to get into the price cap thing because I'm this... To me, this was going to get dis, um, dismissed out of hand. Um, I took Russia at their word for basically saying, look, we are not going to work with any country that is doing this price cap nonsense. And you get, I, I want to get into their response to it. Because all things being equal, they had bought, apparently, their own shipping fleet. Financial Times reported a story talking about, um, there were, I think it was from Kazakhstan, if I'm not mistaken. But it wasn't an issue with Russian shipments in that sense. It was the issue that was coming from Kazakhstan. It was creating all of these kind of difficulties um, with getting that oil from point A to point B now that the price cap um, has gone into fruition. What is the Russian response going to be to this outside of, I've heard them say potentially cutting the amount of oil produced. I've heard that, um, or modest cutting oil produced. But also, just in general, we are not going to work with anybody that is going to put this nonsense price cap idea into play. What's, what are they doing with this from a technical standpoint, meaning in a, in a real-world terms response, what is it going to be? Okay, so I mean, this this whole story at a certain point, pushing this ridiculous idea, enough people, you know, within the Treasury Department in the U.S., Janet Yellen and another, had had evidently staked their careers so much on this that they felt they couldn't back down from what was obviously an unworkable issue. And the main thing appears to me to be presented as if it's working when it obviously will have no real effect. First of all, the principal people who are involved in it and the states supporting it, i.e. the West, you know, Europe, they already by their own sanctions, they cease the import of Russian oil by sea with the exception of Hungary on December 5th anyway. Right. So, I mean, they weren't going to be buying anymore according to their own sanctions uh, anyway. So obviously it doesn't affect them. The big customers who are buying Russian oil, uh, China, India, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, all have already said that they won't have anything to do with this. So that is not an issue. And then for all the other countries in the world, you know, the main thing about this oil price cap is it would target the ships, the transport, and the insurance and the brokerage services um, of any country, uh, well, pr principally of their own, but theoretically, you know, attacking other countries' uh, uh, fleets and stuff with, uh, uh, and insurance providers with sanctions. And the, it's certainly true that the Western countries, particularly the UK, dominate the maritime insurance trade business, but they don't control it all. And Russia bought a fleet of 103 extra oil tankers in the last year. In the Western media political, they've been calling them a shadow fleet. 
because I guess by calling them a shadow fleet, it makes them sound more ominous. Yeah, more nefarious in some way. Like I felt, I felt like it was like like Babylon Five or something. Oh, it's <laughs> not just a fleet; it's a shadow fleet, right? I don't know. I don't know. So, but um, and also, evidently, uh, there are enough insurance providers in Russia and China and India to cover all of this. So I don't see it having any effectiveness. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, though. I thought the effectiveness was this their way of pulling back and acknowledging we can't do without Russian ore products. Meaning, because to your point, why, why do they need to do this if indeed you're saying you're not taking shipment oil anyway? I mean, is it one of those things where this is in play of think, the thought being, look, we don't have a way out of this. There's no magical door to get us out of the energy crisis that we're in. We need Russian oil or energy products. And so if we put in a price cap, at the very least, we can justify that we're not paying that much more, even though we're accepting that particular product. Is it that? But publicly, they're not buying it anyway, right? Oh, but by their own sanctions. Yeah. Now, of course, they actually are getting Russian oil because countries like India just mix Russian oil uh, with others oil and then refine it and 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 sell it on at a huge markup to the Europeans. And the Europeans know this. And, uh, you know, lots of um, European, um, you know, people in the oil business are simply meeting out to sea with uh, Russian ships with their transponders turned off. And the, the, they're just transferring oil and and doctoring the books. And, and this, this is particularly happening with Greece. But, you know, uh, there are plenty of reports in the Western media about it going on. So everyone knows that the Europeans are still getting Russian oil. They're just paying a much higher price for it. And some of it is, is happening, you know, under the table because they really can't do without it. Now, none of this affects the oil coming by pipeline. So that's continuing. Um, that, that is not affected by sanctions. It's not affected by this oil price cap. Hungary also demanded an exception on both counts. So, um, this will only perhaps very slightly push down Russia's export volumes, but that, because that is coming in conjunction with the EU sanctions on seaborne oil, it's impossible to say you know, that, that the price cap is actually having any effect in that regard. It's more of the effect of the sanctions. So, um, and it's already pushing the price of oil higher. So Russian oil is already selling for higher, which will obviously offset any reduce uh, in volumes exported by simply making even more money um, with with smaller volumes, as has happened repeatedly in all of this. I think basically what is going to be argued is that the U.S. Treasury Department, Yellen and everything will say, look, Russia is buying, uh, is selling discounted oil to China and India in extremely large volumes to encourage them to buy it. That's, be, that's happening because of our, our price cap. So it's a success. Never mind that that was happening well before the price cap. <laughs> right. But that's how they will claim Success. I, we've already heard uh, some initial uh, comments about exactly that regard, and, and too many people in in uh, you know the Beltway have their their careers staked on this uh, you know ridiculous program anyway. So, but I, I don't really take it very seriously, and I don't think anyone else who is buying Russian oil outside of the West does either. And obviously, lots of people in the West are like, sure, 
let me let me get some of that sweet Russian black. <laughs> hey, hey, Mark, uh, can I switch gears for a second uh, to talk about TV Rain? Yes. Um, Latvia re- revoked their license, and just for our audience to know, so TV Rain is a major independent news outlet in Russia, and at the be- <laughs> it was in Russia. It was. I'm sorry. <laughs> independent. Yeah, sorry. What was in Russia? But but yeah, just so people know, did so. The, they went to, or essentially <laughs> fled to Latvia during the early um, days of the military operation. And since then, they've, you know, kind of taken this kind of um, analyzing what's happening with Russians who fled. But what are your thoughts on revoking the license? Because as I was reading, one of the things that it seems as if the language that the um, anchors or hosts have been using is something that violated some digital law in Latvia. And one of those particularly is how they they describe, the Russian um, anchors described the troops. So they, they, they referenced them as our, and this is what the reporting says, they referenced them as our, and that is something that violated Latvia's digital law. It was also the Crimea thing. Yeah, and the Crimea on the map. Yes. Yeah. It's like, how dare you display that as Russian territory? First of all, right away, this, this, you're, you're repeating Western framing with this independent Russian TV outlet. They're a European propaganda outlet, right? <laughs> they're, they're paid by the European Commission, right? They have a contract. It's, it's not like it's a secret with the European Commission. This is, this is a bunch of Russians doing, you know, uh, uh, info warfare for the Europeans. So what this really is a story of, and this is what really has me eating popcorn about all of this and, and applauding the whole uh, ridiculous you know, little farce here. Um, this is the hysteria whipped up by anti-Russian propaganda cutting off the EU's own propaganda in the process, right? Because however much Dolched, uh, uh, you know, TV Rain is putting out European propaganda to Russians. It's it's not propaganda uh, by the lines enough because it exempted some acknowledgement that those people are our people and some concern for them. Because here's here's what actually evidently riled uh, the, the the Baltics up with their their you know russophobia to the nth degree is that one of the things they're doing is they're encouraging russian servicemen right we don't know how much of this is actually real and just psyop warfare but to report to them when the russian government hasn't provided them with enough equipment Mm -hmm. and then then they're you know creating stories oh the russian government isn't it isn't supplying its people it's sending them to the front with not adequate equipment and so forth and so forth and there's they then one of their hosts then made a statement that by drawing attention to this that they were actually helping russian um uh, servicemen now what they're doing is actually propaganda against russia equipping its own thing but this was interpreted by the latvians as expressing concern for the russian troops and how dare they do that right because and acknowledge that they come from the same country as as, as we do 
that is is too much. And of course, the whole thing that they they made the huge mistake of showing a map, not even their own map, but uh, a, a map that that had Crimea as as part of Russia, which, by the way, TV Dosh does not support. So um, it's it's really their own propaganda hysteria, the, the neo McCarthyite Salem witch trial level of of um, hysteria going on that has kneecapped one of their own propaganda outlets because at the bottom of the day, these people are still Russian and even liberal pro Western Russians are pretty much hated in Europe. So maybe this whole scenario and now a second, uh, another Baltics because Lithuania has also banned them as well. Maybe this will lead to those Russians who are working, who were working for, for, the EU Commission on this TV Rain project. Maybe they it will lead them to reassess their 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 life choices and political views. I doubt it, but you know, hey, anything's possible. But in the meantime, I'm just popping popcorn and 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 laughing all the way, you know, to the bank. I get, I mean, I'm I'm not that I go to the bank, but you know, you get the expression. What do you What do you make of of uh, Emmanuel Macron? Obviously, who was just here for his big first state visit here in Washington. Uh, met with Biden, hung out for four days was with Uncle Joe. He went back to Paris, and on Saturday, he was talking to the French press, and he was talking about um, how NATO should give security guarantees to Russia um, in order to, you know, advance any sort of peace talks. But, I mean, they didn't really—I don't think he went into any detail about it. No, that's—yeah, that's not actually what he he said, after the conflict is over, uh. we should discuss it. it, it that, that, which puts it entirely like, like after Russia is defeated, we should provide them security guarantees. This is a, really a non-statement. It wasn't regarded as, as having any meeting uh, in, in Moscow at all. Um, you know, Macron has been trying to play this. He, he continually tries to um, present himself as a statesman who has the capability of reaching out to Russia, you know, and then he'll, 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 he'll talk to the next group of people and, and to detail out the weapons systems that, well, actually that France is not providing to Ukraine anymore because they've run out of weapons right. that they can give them. Uh, but you know, no, this is not any type of signaling that, that, uh, that the West was wrong or, or, right. or that, we should reevaluate our, our support. He, he of also Ukraine. pointed out last week. Remember, he pointed out last week saying that he could see resentment in <laughs> Vladimir <laughs> right. Putin's eyes. He looked into Putin's eyes and he saw resentment. I, with the belief that we want to know. destroy Russia, which isn't at all, of course, true. Right. You know, um, this is, you know, it, of course, brings to mind George W. Yeah. Bush. Yeah, he saw, looked seeing, into his eyes seeing, and saw his uh, soul. Oh yeah, saw a soul and McCain looking into Putin's eyes and and seeing KGB, <laughs> uh, and now Macron looking into Putin's eyes and seeing resentment. And all I can say is that Putin's eyes must be the mirror, a reflective mirrors into the souls of these respective <laughs> people, and it tells us far more about their psychology yes. than this kind of weird Putin's eyes Kremlinology tells us anything <laughs> about Putin. And you know, and and. Allegedly, you know, Biden supposedly yeah, he saw a killer. Him. Apparently, yeah, yeah. So he didn't right. have a soul. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah all, right, all of these Biden. people are just falling into well, Putin's eyes. A psychological term called projection. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. 
Yeah, that I, I projection. It's some kind of weird sexual obsession. Too. Oh. I mean, that's what it seems like. It is so weird. I mean, because you're just like, I looked into her eyes. But in this case, it's, you know, all of these people are looking into Why Putin's eyes. Why is everybody eyes. looking yeah. into Putin's eyes? It's like eyes. they're just like gazing. I just have this image in my head of just gazing into Putin's eyes during these meetings. I, I generally approve of, oh, okay, I don't approve of all of his policies. I mean, I've criticized his war effort many times from a, uh, a, a Russian uh, national security perspective. But it, I've never really looked in the guy's eyes before. Right. I, I can't. Yeah, that see, I you, have. You, I mean, yeah, you would maybe think, maybe they're seeing something that I haven't. Maybe he's got really sexy eyes. I know, I don't, I, <laughs> or you would think it. that they maybe they have a picture of Putin on a horse without his shirt on Ooh. beside their bed. You know that picture that they had of yeah. Putin um, with his shirt off. Maybe, maybe that's what they're fantasizing about or something. I don't know. Like everybody back in the day with the Farrah Fawcett swimsuit. <laughs> in this case, poster, they got Putin on the they wall. They got Putin on the on the horse. We, I think we can definitely say that Putin lives rent-free in their heads. Oh, yes. yeah. There's no question about that. Oh, yeah, to put it mildly. Um, one more thing before we close, and this has to do with, I guess, it's the retaliation. I mean, the reason that Macron was here was basically beg, basically begging um, Biden to do something about the Inflation Reduction Act because they're saying it's going to deindustrialize our businesses. You're, you're hurting us. Um, we want to get some of that sweet contract money that you guys are giving out to the people um, in the U.S., Mexico, or for that matter, Canada. Um, and they're basically saying now that they're going to have to do something internally within Europe. Basically, that we're going to have to back our own industries and everything else. And it's even going to have to come from the European level in order to push back against the U.S. plan on this. These guys are busted. They don't have any money to yeah. do this. I and mean, the idea that they're going to compete right, is insane. Yeah, right after the U.S., you know, um, bent Macron over the table with the AUKUS deal right, on nuclear right. submarines, right? <laughs> right. They're, they're bending him over the table on this, not only him, but all the EU. He was just sent as, as the bagman, right? And, and Europe was asking that their own electric car companies, you know, be included, you know, so that their own companies don't have even further incentive to leave Europe for the United States, which they're already doing because of the energy costs. Right. So um, it, it I guess you could say it compounds it. Uh, but obviously, I mean, I, U.S. Uh, senators, Democrats who are pushing this bill spoke on the matter and they made clear, yeah, we're not revisiting it. The Europeans will just have to suck it up if they want to subsidize their own, uh, you know, have their own protectionist uh, bills to support. That's great. They, they can do that. And that's it. Um, and, you know, the deindustrialization of Europe will continue. And, you know, the U.S. response is, you know, just, you know, Victoria Newland's, you know, best, best hit line. FDU. FDU. Yeah. FDU. Pretty much. Pretty much. Because there was no way we we're going to change our legislation for Europe. And I got to be honest, I am. It's this is the first time and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, that they've complained this bitterly about legislation like this. And I suspect but a lot US of U.S. legislation. Yeah, but domestic U.S. Stuff. Domestic U.S. legislation. I've, I've never heard them complain this much, this loud. To the point of sending they've Macron to take it in the face. They've also been complaining about the price of oil. Yes. Uh, of gas, uh, gas and oil that they're paying to the to the U, uh, particularly of natural gas LNG that the U.S. is supplying them that costs like five times more than what they were expecting, what they had been paying for it, and then we're like, duh. I mean, like we told you this like before this all started. But it, it was so obvious. Like now you're going to complain about it. Like, like you think, 
first of all, shipping LNG is obviously more expensive because, first of all, it has to be fracked out of the ground in the U.S. because they don't have available supplies of it, so they have to poison their own ground in order to get it out the last dregs of it, basically. Then they have to change it into liquid form and then ship it across the ocean by tanker and then change it back from a liquid you know, into gas form into the pipelines that had to be specifically built. It's all incredibly expensive. Um, and it, you know, Europe can still get energy, right? There's energy out there, uh, but it is a finite supply and they will pay much more for it as a result. And, and someone else will not get that LNG that was going to get it, and that will push the global prices even further because of the, the global distribution network has been all um, shaken up right, and reordered ad hoc as people are now bidding on oil and gas around the world, Europe outbidding the people that were getting it previously, and it's just going to result in higher prices. And it, all it's doing, as Victor Orban said, it's not so much that we are shooting ourselves in the foot. We're shooting ourselves in the lungs. Pretty much. And uh, agreed upon that. One last question. What is this going to do in regards to this kind of global competitiveness between, let's say, something like BRICS or Shanghai Cooperation Organization versus the European Union? I mean, if Europe is being deindustrialized, if they're paying that much more for fuel, if you have a situation where the pound and, for that matter, the euro has basically fallen through the floor, well, this is obviously going to make them less competitive. I mean, you can even see the shrinking of their um, industrial might in general, like just over the course of the conflict um, itself. What is this going to do for the foreseeable future when, you know, they may be able to fill up um, oil this year or let's say oil and gas this year. Next year, less likely. And the year after that, it's going to be even worse. Yeah, it's going to yeah, be right, even worse. Because their storage tanks will be completely empty and they'll have no ability to, to fill them. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, first of all, all these energy intensive industries are already either shutting down because they can no longer afford to operate or moving to, to the U.S. And that's some surprising industries like toilet paper, which is actually incredibly energy uh, um, uh, intensive. But what does, it's a very good point that, first of all, I mean, we already knew this is the Asian century, right? And global investment has gone to Asia, mostly in, in, in search of cheap labor for manufacturing, right? So that, that already had them as an industrial advantage. Now you're going to add that that cheap, reliable supply of piped energy that was going to Europe is now going to China and India instead, making them more competitive and taking away the competitiveness, uh, in, you know, industry-wise of Europe. The days of, of the garden, Joseph Burrell's Garden of Europe, their, their paradise, as he put it, is over. I mean, they're, they're, they're back uh, with the jungle. And, and this prosperity they've enjoyed for the last few decades, you know, as he rightly noted, I've been saying it since February, uh, this prosperity was due to cheap, reliable supply of Russian energy. Now that energy is going to someone else. So it's a double competitiveness whammy on Europe. Europe is now going to be much, much less wealthy than it was before. Mark, thank you, my man. Always appreciate um, talking to you. Mark Sloboda, he's an international relations and security analyst. You can follow Mark on Twitter at MarkSloboda1 and on his new YouTube channel, Real Politic with Mark Sloboda. Definitely check that out. Love that channel. And you can find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash Gramsci. And yeah, Zelensky gets the Man of the Year Award from Time Magazine. 
We're naming all of these problems. fashionable and stylish with the boots and the whole haircut. Boots and the military equipment. He has a style of its own. The scruffy face. Super hot. You're going to get other world leaders trying to get their country destroyed. is over there in Hungary. You know, did you read he blocked the... um, I saw that. The 12, what, 19 billion. 18 billion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they don't like him. (laughs) They don't like, they're going to complain. Well, look. It, yeah, but look, you guys are listening to Fault Lines, Thomas, Chan, Abdul. I want to thank our engineer. I want to thank our producers. Um, and I want to thank all of you, the listeners. We didn't get callers today. We'll try to get to you guys tomorrow. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, rumblers. But we will see you guys bright and early. We are over the hump. Have a good one, guys. And Manila, happy birthday. Thank you. Bye, guys. Fault Lines.